why Andy Dufresne is such an amazing protagonist is that he is constantly adding humanity in an inhumane environment. The last time I remember crying that long, <laughs> you know, was election night 2016. Oh. <laughs> but for different reasons. <laughs> You watch both these characters give 20 years of their life to a horrific environment that literally chews up men and spits them out. Unless they refuse that. Like that sort of defiance of Andy and turning up the music or whatever. Just refusing to let that small part of him be caged. All right, we are live, and welcome to Long Walk Short Drink episode 62. I am Palmer, podcasting to you from Dayton, Ohio. And this is Dave, podcasting to you from Northfield, Minnesota. These fucking headphones are so creaky. <laughs> They're just like, it's just like, let me, like, let me see if I can get the, like, the sound. Can you hear that? Yeah, I hear it. Oh my god, in my ear constantly, every move I make, like it's just like <laughs> in my fucking ear. God what damn happen, it! What happened to your to your headphones that you, that you usually use? <laughs> so this fucking cat, this orange cat, uh, is it Mika? Yeah, Mika. So like ninety eight percent of the time, the office only gets used when I'm recording, and then the rest of the time it's just kind of. I might use it to balance the checkbook and Ash might have something she needs to look up, but most of the time it only gets used when we're recording, which is great because I can just leave it set up like this. It takes two seconds to like tear it down, leave it set up. I come back another two seconds. It's up and ready to run. Well, until we got this cat who's just like, everything is hers. And so I had my headphones, my good studio monitor headphones plugged in and she like took them and tried to run with them and my only the only like silver lining in it is i kind of picture almost similar to tom and jerry like when the dog would run with his like like the chain on and he'd run and run and run and run and like tom (laughs) had the line drawn like where he knew (laughs) how far the chain would go I picture Mika running with my headphones in her mouth, like, ah, these are fucking mine. And like running full <laughs> speed, like, I got them, they're mine. <laughs> and then like hits the end of the cord and is like, ah, you know, like that. He's jerked back. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, so that must have happened. And they ended up in the middle of the floor and on a fluke, like Ash was in here and, um, stepped, like, stumbled and then stepped on him and, Oh, snap the like right in the middle. There's no way to like, there's no way to fix them. So I'll just order another pair. Like at least they don't cost $250. And uh, Moto, if you have any insight on a good um, inexpensive pair of studio headphones, uh, that would be shoot those my way. Cause I would definitely take a look at them. So 
I know he's got three that he uses for different reasons. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's... <laughs> I fucking knew he would. Like, I was like, you just got to ask Moto because, like, yeah. he'll, he'll set you straight on what you need. So... Um, <laughs> I, I know mean, he's looking forward to joining us. I was texting with him earlier. Oh, that's great. Yeah. We, um, yeah. It, I mean, you text at like to see if I was ready to roll. And I realized that like, I've been like radio silence for the last two weeks, pretty much. Um, Ash and I had just been slugs kind of just, um, we've had a lot of good, like good winter weather and that's kind of kept us in the house and we've just kind of like hunkered down and, really just stayed inside and uh, go in long patches where my phone just kind of sits in one spot and I don't really look at it. So uh, that's not, not a bad thing. No, <laughs> or at least in no. my estimation. Yeah. I just realized uh, that we hadn't talked to right. Like just last night you had chimed in on the group text and stuff, but I was just getting things set up and I was like, Oh, let me just make sure yeah. <laughs> just in case. Cause then if I'm sitting here, I'm like, Hmm. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> Uh, you want to crack a beverage and, and get in, get into it. Yeah. Look, Moto's already on there. He's like, what's the budget on the, on the studio headphones? <laughs> uh, let's just say, uh, I, I don't know. Like, what's... <laughs> oh, that's the $250. I was like, yeah, that's no, why you said no, that no, two, yeah. no, no $250. I would prefer way less than that. Um, <laughs> I mean, my mixer was only $80. So I would say less than $80, but preferably you're in the $50 range. Magnets. Whoa. Oh, 30 oh, bucks a... right here. Oh, my God. Sennheiser. Sennheiser. Sennheiser, yeah. The HD202 with oh, neodymium okay. magnets. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, let's, let's crack a beverage. So, Long yeah. Walkers, grab your beverage of choice. Uh, I'm right now, uh, Aldi has stepped up their beer game and they actually have like actual microbrew beers. This is, uh, I've had this before. It's Elvis juice. It's very good. <laughs> what sort of a brew is that? It is a grapefruit infused IPA with natural citrus flavors. So we're nice. uh, the bride and I are going to have our second annual viewing of girls trip. So grapefruit. If you've seen that movie, anyone seen that movie is I was on the mind today. <laughs> if, you, if you're not familiar with that, check it out. <laughs> um, so uh, I and actually I was going to I can't get beer and like it just all any place here. Like I couldn't get it at an Aldi. I got to go to a liquor store in Minnesota here. And I have all this beer in the garage for left over from like visitors and stuff. But it's like there's like Heineken light and triple X or whatever. Oh. Is it triple X? Dos Aquis. Oh, it's triple yeah. X. So I don't know. I passed this billboard of a beer I didn't even really necessarily want, but it made me realize that I don't have a beer I'm excited about. So so I made a an extra stop and I grabbed this on a whim. The La Quintas twenty eighteen one hitter series. It's a coffee stout and aged in rye oak barrels. So Ooh. we'll see how that is. It sounds yummy though. Yeah. That sounds delicious. Yeah. You ready? All right, I'm ready. On three. And three. Ooh, wow. Awesome. It's a heavy one. Taller one. So you were starting to tell me that you hadn't really necessarily done a whole lot to speak of since our since we last long walked. Oh no, I mean um, I've done lots of sluggish things. 
Yeah, th- I was just going to tell <laughs> you or ask you to tell me about those things. Um, <laughs> so did you guys get like a foot of snow and stuff? Yeah, like we, I, well, uh, the weather has been really weird. We did get like, I know we didn't get anywhere near the amount of snow that uh, like Northeast Ohio had. I'm sure Moto and Broadman can attest that uh, they they have been getting hammered up there but down here it's enough to like throw everybody for a loop because they're just not used to it and so the last there were two weekends where it might have even been back-to-back weekends that we were supposed to get bad storms one of them happened to be this past weekend which happened to be martin luther king day weekend so it was a three-day weekend for us so um we just kind of i i sold a pinball machine and so i ended up buying uh i got playstation virtual reality which uh is just amazing and mind-blowing and so we got that and just watched movies and played that over the weekend and just had a a good time with that Uh, oh cool so what uh so when you sell a pinball game that's um like a physical one that you have yeah in your house or through the the yoda thing oh (laughs) no connection (laughs) no like one of my own personal collection i sold one oh through um does it matter can we help you out sell other things or is it a one-off thing oh no it it was just kind of a one-off thing so no i appreciate that um probably craigslist or no, excuse me. Um, I happen to know the person that they were just looking for oh. a pinball machine for their garage, and I had a one that was perfect for that. So, if I would have done any more work on it, I would have been able to charge more money, but I would have it would have cost me more money into it. So, I basically did the work I needed to do to it, which got it running and got it functioning the way it was supposed to function. Uh, but it didn't cost me anything other than the actual purchase of the pinball machine. So I was able to flip it for like a ton of profit, which was great. Oh, sweet. So, um, so yeah. And uh, movies, you, you said you watched a bunch of movies. Any, uh, any of them that you um, want to tell me so about? So we've seen, <laughs> since the last time we talked, we've seen, I can't remember. Did we talk about Bandersnatch at all? Like the black. No, I've never heard that word. (laughs) No. Okay. So, um, did we talk about Bird Box? Sort of. Only uh, we haven't watched it yet, so you didn't tell me much about it. Okay. All right. Yeah. So we watched that, and then um, Netflix also came out with this. um, You know the show Black Mirror on Netflix. Yeah. You you mentioned the interactive one. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Okay. So I did talk about. Oh, that's. Oh, that's the other word, weird word. <laughs> Bandersnatch, yeah, is the name of the movie. Yeah, it's Black Mirror is the like, you know, it's like Twilight Zone presents, but this is Black Mirror yeah. presents. And then the name of the actual movie is Bandersnatch, Bandersnatch. Uh, which is the name of uh, it's like the titular book that is the central um, token in this story. Like this kid has this book, which is a choose your own adventure book. And it like is kind of mirrored in the movie. So, does it connect the different? Are there different? No, there aren't different stories. There's one story that can go. Uh, so, um, yeah, Black Mirror is a um, what do they call that? Like a a, a serial an or a, anthology? an anthology where like none of the episodes are related. They're all like set like universally. They all take place in the same universe, uh, 
um, at different stages, of, but they all center around technology in some way. Uh, and so, yeah, just a really, that was really good. Um, we watched, so do you remember me talking a, a, a few, this was a bunch of episodes ago about the guys that make the show workaholics. Uh, oh, and then vaguely. they, and then they made this vaguely. Netflix show movie and it was like the, in the analingus, it was the analingus. <laughs> like, you remember me? Like, yeah. so those guys made for, for Netflix and Ash and I happened to watch it and it, uh, fuck, I gotta try to remember what the name of it was, but they basically, these it's a teen comedy and these group of teenagers go camping and inadvertently one of them ends up cutting off his dick and then hilarity ensues (laughs) as they're trying to like because they have a cooler full of beer and an identical cooler with the penis in it and like life light is taking them like taking the kid out and when they take them out, they take the beer cooler. And the friends, the stupid idiot friends, are left with the cooler with the penis in it. And so then they, the rest of the movie is them trying to get the penis to their friends so that his penis doesn't, like, can be reattached. Oh, man. Is that a movie or a series? It's, you, it's a movie. It was, a movie. Okay. It, it is, it was so <laughs> twistedly funny. I'm not doing a good job of selling it right now. Uh, I mean, that's definitely intriguing, <laughs> cringe-inducing, also. But yeah, I'm sure it's more fun. Than it, oh no! It, I mean, it is <laughs> like it is. It is very cringe-worthy. Uh, continue watching. Let's see here. <laughs> had you seen it before? When? Because I felt like you had mentioned the the dick part. I did. Or, Jeez. But but had you seen it like back? Did you watch it again, or you saw it? For oh the no, first we time? saw it for that was the we only watched it the one time. Oh okay. Oh there it is, the package in Netflix film. Jeez. We also watched Crazy Rich Asians, and we watched The Green Room. Uh, the Green Room. That's the one with uh, Vigo Mortensen. That's up for oh, a bunch. Uh, of- is it? Is it Green Book? Oh, Green Book. Am I yeah. making that up? No, Green Book. I think Book. it's Green Book. Yeah. Green Room was the one about the Jesus. That was a bad, was trying... the bad switch. The Green Room is, I'm pretty sure, the one about the Nazi bar where the kids see the murder at the Nazi bar, and then the Nazis oh. like slowly pick them off one by one. Oh. Oh, I I knew it was that was that was something. Yeah. I'm not familiar with what that. Must be, but Green though. Book is yes, is what <laughs> I meant. Book. Okay, so Crazy Rich Asians and the Green Book, both of which those were both very entertaining. They were awesome. Oh, um, that's excellent. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it's 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 Crazy Rich Agent Asians, Crazy Rich Asians. Jeez, is that um, what am I trying to ask? <laughs> is it like is it? I've heard I've heard. T- different things but some of what i've heard is like yeah it's just like your most straightforward romantic comedy but is it a, a good one <laughs> for i like i like romantic comedies <laughs> it is a good romantic comedy yes um she basically is just a normal average everyday woman in new york city who is dating this guy and she has some kind of knowledge that he she knows he has a really good job and he's kind of he has a bit of status in New York. 
and he asks her home for his cousin's wedding. And she realizes how wealthy he actually is when they get on the plane and it's like a suite. They're not in, there's not rows of seats or anything. There's just two seats and like a TV and a dresser and beds and like on this plane for them for this 14 hour flight for them to go over. Um, and she realizes they're like crazy rich Asians. Like, <laughs> so she finds out she m- meets up with one of her friends from college who is also very wealthy uh, um, where they are. And when she finds out that she's dating this man, they're like, they are the, the elite of our culture. Like they're, they're like rock stars, you know, like Mm. paparazzi follows them. Yeah. And so, and so she's very, she's like, has a single mom and all this stuff. And, uh, it's how it ends up being that like, you know, essentially the story is she's trying to prove herself. It is meet the Fockers, but the other <laughs> way around where it's like, you know, oh, okay. she's trying to prove that she's worthy of her, of this woman's son who had like the opening scene, they go to Australia or somewhere to this private hotel, which I didn't even know such a thing existed. Like you're only allowed to stay <laughs> at this hotel, like by invitation only. It's just oh. like a normal hotel, but you can't get into a room there unless somebody invite, like, so, like you're invited there. And so they go to check in and they're com- like the manager and the bellboys are like completely racist against the mother and her son and the grandmother. And so, the grandmother goes like they basically tell them there's no room. She's like, I've had these reservations for months and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, there's no rooms here. Maybe you need to stay downtown, like insinuating like over in China. He's like, maybe Chinatown would have some rooms for you to stay in. And so she like the next scene is her out in the rain in a telephone booth, like screaming into a telephone. And she goes back into the hotel and the owner who lives in the hotel comes down and is like, oh, I am so sorry. And like, he's like, tells them, he's like, I've decided to sell the hotel to her. And so like, <laughs> she like bought the hotel just to like show these men up who Jeez. treated her like shit. I mean, it was a really like vindicating. Bruce Wayne move. Um, yeah. <laughs> Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it the like, dark well, I, think yeah. I think I'm going to buy it. Like, <laughs> come on. Bruce, we have plenty more hotels for you to buy. <laughs> That's what the model says to him. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, uh, and Green Green Book, the so, so the bride heard some things about the behind the scenes of that movie. I mean, essentially that, you know, is made by like a white guy and then about this other struggle was, and they never and reached was, out to the guys, the, the original, the original guy's family. Some, whatever, of, the, so she's some of the story it. might be embellished. Like their relationship might be embellished. It was more, I like from what I had heard, his estate came out with a statement that said that 
it was a much more business trans like a business oriented relationship than a yeah. friendship and um i i get all of it i understand all that but at the end of the day it's a movie that's there to entertain me it's it's based on a true story and i have to i mean they they're going to take artistic license it wouldn't be a good like the the end of the day he still did the right thing like he defended that man that he worked for sure okay so yeah he did it because he was working for him he still he in, in, at that time it still had to have it took some kind of it took it had to have taken some kind of courage to work for a black man and take him through the south you know like mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah. um yeah so even even if it was just because he was being paid to do it that I, I still think that there had to it, it like now that would be really petty, but even but back then I have to think there was something a little more to it than that, you know. Mm -hmm. Um but even even if not so, that wouldn't sell tickets. That wouldn't I think I think it was a good story to tell, you know. I, I yeah, it sounds like a good message at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> And I, I, I mean, I think it really did have a good, it, it had a good story to tell. So, and I found the, the African-American character was, was, he really blew me away. He did a great job. Um, I, yeah. I like that actor. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. And I but. found that, let me, I'll, I'll look it up. But I, and I just found that character fascinating. It was, um, yeah, I I just could not imagine going through. It's one of those movies where, uh, if I were going to see it, it would have to be with her, likely. If, in all reality, for me to actually take the time, and it's one that that uh, the backstory, whatever that that thing got to her before she saw it, so it sort of sullied her on it. So we probably won't watch it together. Um, yeah, as opposed to there have been other ones like last year where you know the. Uh, Boots Riley, the guy made uh, "Sorry to Bother You," uh, had this critique of Black Klansmen, and there's these things that go around, and, yeah. and you know, in those cases, she had seen them, seen the movies first, and able to just be like, "Oh," and kind of like you said, basically like, "Oh, I get all this," but <laughs> whereas unfortunately, this one I think colored her experience too much to where now she's not excited to see it. Yeah, but um, Mahershala Ali is yeah the that guy rocks. Uh, the actor who who portrays Doctor Don Shirley, and it he just he does an amazing job, but that character himself is is very fascinating. <laughs> J Ro just joined us saying neither of these dudes is Logan. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, you brought it. Next episode, Logan's gonna be on. Yes, uh, he's a tough guy to nail down, yeah. but we're we're determined. <laughs> so, oh man. Like next episode, Logan will be on. Yes. <laughs> um. Uh. So I have. Um. I think we're gonna watch the favorite. Uh. This oh. weekend. I really want to see Vice really bad. Yeah. Um. I want to see Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm hoping that that's that. gonna get. I love that so much more than I expected to, that's and I expected guy, to like the it. guy from Mr. Robot, right? Yeah, Rami Malek. Yeah. Um, people are saying like, "Oh, he looks just like Freddie Mercury." He doesn't 
actually look like Freddie Mercury if you if you look at him like critically. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen, who was supposed to play Freddie yeah. Mercury, fucking looks like he for many years. He looks like Freddie right. Mercury, sort of facially and stuff. Yeah, and that would have been bananas great. Um, I'm sure, but yeah, Rami Malek has is a great choice in that he has this otherness about him, uh, kind of like maybe it's a weird comparison, but one of the reasons I think Willem Dafoe is such an interesting person to have played Jesus Christ in uh, the last temptation of Christ is because he has this like otherness about him. So it just works really well for these kind of characters. Um, but yeah, Rami Malek is amazing and incredible. That whole movie, like I, I'm so glad to see it getting this kind of attention. Cause I didn't know. I didn't know. I don't know. Biopics are all biopics are essentially Dewey Cox. The, the walk hard the Dewey Cox story, (laughs) you know, and I love them, but they, even this one is too. So it's, uh, I, I, but it just fucking works. So I'm so excited that I'm not the only one to think so. (laughs) And then that people are lauding the praise on it that they are. Cause it's, it's really, it's just like pure joy and like, so inspiring to watch this guy who was, he just like you come out of it feeling like oh my god like freddie Mercury is like one of the bravest human beings to ever live like based on like how the movie makes you feel yeah and how uh how committed he was to just like doing his own thing and find making his own path i don't know i that would be of the ones you mentioned i know that one will be a lot of fun <laughs> awesome uh i got to see it in the theater which was yeah, great because I, I, Queen is so huge to have the music and everything be so big. Well, I'm hoping that it'll have a revival run leading up to the Oscars. Like it'll get re-released in the theaters to for people to drum up some of the attention, you know? Yeah, yeah. So maybe I'll try to look for it uh, at, for a second run so I can go catch it. But vice i want to see and i say roe was saying it was weird the director's decisions were confusing um but it's it's a little bit like i'm i want to see it because i like you know adam mckay's movies whether they be you know his comedies back in the day or like um the big short or those kinds of things it's just hard to on purpose watch dick cheney like the yeah i just like don't really want to spend time with that guy (laughs) even even somebody as cool as christian bale playing him like because right yeah christian bale play does it so well that like you can get kind of sucked in that like that's dick cheney and and i'm sure we're seeing you know we only saw we only see that what what exudes out right like that made it out of that white house that made it into the media like wait i remember when he shot that dude i don't remember (laughs) like i remember that happening and it was an accident and then like nobody talked about it anymore you know like (laughs) and i'm just like what the fuck man like he shot a dude in the chest um so i i'm i'm sure we get to see more of how the sausage was made, which is just going to make me feel even skeezier about that time period. You know, like, yeah, it's like the, the big short. I mean, ultimately that was about that financial crisis and it's, yeah, I I knew people who really didn't want to like go there, (laughs) but that movie's, that's fun too. So I don't know. It's, it's weird to call them fun, I guess, but, uh, I did enjoy that movie. I I did enjoy the big short. I thought it was, 
very well done. And I think that vice would be, you're right, would be along the same lines. Um, I, but I was, I, you know, I think it's also a good reminder. I, I was telling Ash, I was like, you know, it's bad when you're nostalgic for like W, when you see W and you're just like, oh, W. He was <laughs> yeah, idiot, I want to, but he was our idiot, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I, it, for, for a fraction of a second, went through my head. he was a harmless Maybe, idiot. Oof, and I was oof. like, yeah, like he was. Yeah, I almost called him a harmless idiot, and I was like, "That's lunacy." He was yeah. such a oh god. Anyway, so what was the third one? The oh, your the favorite was that the oh other the one favorite you we're gonna watch this weekend. Yeah, that's the one with um, yeah with uh, Emma Stone Emma and Stone, uh, yeah. Rachel Weiss. Is yeah, it? Rachel Weiss. We did see that one, the bride and I together. Oh yeah, that that was cool. Was yeah, it good? we saw that actually. Yeah, we, we liked it. Um, I mean, it's you know, it's. It's it, that's a period. In a lot of ways, it's told a comedy. It's co- told though with contemporary storytelling, like styles, right? Like, yeah, you're not. I mean, I. It's not like they speak, like they will speak in whatever the Queen's English or whatever you would call it. But it's not that part is not in the least bit distracting or not entertaining. It's very gotcha. It's very engaging. Uh, yeah, I can't think of something to liken it to. Um, the performances in it of the three main women are like really great. It, it was, and it, and I would call it fun <laughs> though. It is uh serious things happen in it, I guess. Yeah. And it's based on some stuff in history, but not like all of it is. Well, I don't know. I don't want to give things away, but, but th- yeah, I would recommend it. I, I dug it. Yeah. Did the golden globes play since the last time that we like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember. I know um, the uh, actor in green book, one into the uh, spider verse got best animated i saw that yeah, Did I, keep, you see I keep hearing no i haven't i haven't seen that and i haven't been <sighs> i keep hearing like amazing things about it Did but I tell for whatever you reason Did I tell uh, you maybe that? maybe not enough you, i think you mentioned it but tell me more i it's like i've heard it's amazing but i don't i'm not that well, compelled the, to see it for some reason the, well first off the animation is is like watercolors it's not even it's not like the colors are vibrant but they're they just look like oil pastels or watercolors like it's really it's this like it's digitized it's obviously it's computer animated but the the texture that they use makes it look like um oil pastels or 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 watercolors like there's a texture to the to the to the Hmm. not a film texture either like a paper texture almost to the animation and so it gives it this sense of like genuineness um but it, like the old kind of hand-drawn cartoon yeah, kind of vibe. Yeah, and um, just really good storytelling. And I was not familiar with the Spider-Verse concept at all and what that really meant. Uh, but like Nick Cage does one of the Spider-Men and <laughs> um, the, the guy from Big Mouth, one of the comedians from Big Mouth, he does Spider-Ham and... Uh, all these different people, awesome people do these uh, different versions of Spider-Man. So the whole Spider-Verse concept is that um, the whole Marvel universe is built on the multiverse theory that there's like an infinite amount of versions of each world. That's how they're able to just keep retelling this different stories and rebooting arcs all the time is because we're just seeing it on a different version uh, of a Marvel planet. Right. And so 
the spider verse takes into that takes that into account that just about every version of earth has a spider-man but they're not all necessarily peter parker so like there's right. one of the there's a spider woman and that's gwen stacy where you know who really? yeah who <laughs> who famously dies yeah peter parker at the, hands of, at the hands of peter green. parker and the green goblin and yeah. that kind of forces him further into the spider-man path well in in the world that the spider woman comes from peter parker dies at the hands of her like she oh. gets bit by the spider and so she becomes like that that oh that's that, kind of cool that world spider-man and like nick cage plays spider-man noir so there was this whole noir universe of the marvel universe where everything everybody's kind of like gumshoes and and uh everything's kind of in black and whites and grays and so like nick cage plays that version of spider-man like spider-man noir and uh yeah it just is real and somehow so kingpin essentially destroys like the the space-time fabric which allows these other spider-men to get sucked into this one spider-man's universe and so um so there's the spider-man we know that's from the that's from the universe that all the movies that we've seen with like toby Maguire are based on right but it but it's not the kid who's been playing him in the no marvel live action movies not the most recent one no so like so this is like in sony's universe Sony Spider-Man universe, right? Oh, okay. This is making a little sense now as to why yeah. both are happening. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so that that Spider-Man exists. So just picture him existing. That same Spider-Man, an alternate version of him, is fighting Kingpin. And because Kingpin is trying to recreate the spider that gave Spider-Man his powers. Okay. Okay. And so a young kid inadvertently ends up getting bit by that spider and gets Spider-Man's powers. And just at the moment that that world Spider-Man, that world's Peter Parker and this kid Morales, I I forget Oscar Morales or whatever his name is. I forget what his name is. As soon as they both realize they're both spider people, that Peter <laughs> Parker gets killed like Kingpin kills him. And so oh, that version of Peter Parker dies. And so this young kid decides to become the new Spider-Man for that world. Well, the Peter part, you know, the Spider-Man we know from the Sony movies gets sucked into his universe and kind of trains him how to be Spider-Man with all these other spy- versions of Spider-Man. It's really awesome. Oh, okay. That, that does sound interesting. And does it, how do they orient you to the different, spider people like they all kind of get each of their yeah they all kind of give a little brief like how they got where they are that and it happens really fast you got to kind of watch the like when it gets to that montage you got to pay attention because they go through them kind of quick nice but yeah and and a quick like like if it really throws you off i i got i got the major i filled in all of my cracks uh with the wikipedia page the spider verse Hmm wikipedia page i'll have to make a point to get into that uh, we haven't been going to the movie movies much and uh well, well we did yesterday but not to see anything new <laughs> um 
I just wanted yeah, to mention. Yeah, let's talk about I, what you I, see, what you saw. Jeez. I will, but uh, the the guy from Green Book that won the Golden Globe. Oh yeah, let's talk a little bit about the Golden Globes if you want. Um, Ma. Maharshal Ali. The reason I'm f- most familiar with him is because he played a character called Cottonmouth in the Netflix Luke Cage series for Marvel. Oh. Which the first half of that first series um it only they canceled it after a second one, but the yeah. first half of the first in- one in which this guy features prominently was really awesome actually. Really? Um and he would and he, I had never seen him before that actor and uh, that was where I saw him, and he like blew me away. And then he's got that small role in Moonlight, I think. Yeah. Uh, but he, yeah, he's like a magnetic, exciting guy. But that's really what I think of this <laughs> Cottonmouth. But um, yeah. Anyway, I thought I'd throw that out there. But I was happy to see him win. Uh, I can't remember a lot of the people who did win. <laughs> I, I and I really, honestly, didn't even really watch it. Uh, we did watch it. We do watch it. Fuck it. We don't need to get into. It. We got other stuff to talk about. But. It was nice to uh the Oscar I, nomination I being, came out and I was like kind of disappointed like kind of mixed emotions about even, those. Uh I only heard highlights about Black that. Black Panther got <laughs> nominated for best picture first like superhero movie. Yeah, I heard that and Black Klansman and I, yeah. basically so for some of the the nominees for best picture I was like, "Oh, I've seen those," which is rare, but yeah. it also seemed weird at the same time that a I've been having a little bit of superhero burnout, I have to admit. Yeah. That's partly why I haven't seen the spider-man movie i don't know i just i have liked the ones i have seen like without fail i've always left being like wow that was so much better than maybe i felt going in but like thor ragnarok black panther those are the last two i can i can remember avengers infinity war yeah i don't know about that because that was such a bummer i was just kind of pissed oh but. it was so dis. the ending was like <laughs> such a downer that yeah like they tried to go for empire and they just like overshot it I know a lot of people like love that too. I well, that one less so. So I was not necessarily happy about that one. Thor Ragnarok, other, I think, was a fucking masterpiece. I yeah, like, I love. I I ended up really enjoying that. I really enjoy Black Panther. I just both times already, I was just like, ugh, in my mind. But the br- bride sort of dragged me. Not dragged me, but she, it was her idea. And I'm thinking in my head. I'm, I've mentioned on the show that I wasn't excited, and then then ultimately was really on board for both. But I guess I what I'm saying is I haven't had the innate excitement for those kinds of things for a while. And just a little frustrated that like that's the main channel. I don't yeah. know of stuff. Well, <laughs> At the un- same time, un- I haven't seen a lot of these other, you know, more adult movies. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> or maybe fortunately, this is the high watermark, you know, um I mean, they're doing them great. I mean, uh, we've talked about that too. I love the Marvel. They're yeah, they're very giving. entertaining and like, and and I love how they yeah. you know they generate funds that make other great Disney movies. You know, like oh yeah, Ralph yeah. wrecks the internet. You know, like it, like oh yeah, you never told me about that one. I didn't watch that, it. We didn't see that one. I wonder. I oh, I thought you went to the theater to see that. I know. I did, or oh, maybe no, you were I going to. to. Uh, we yeah. we're. We meant to plenty of times and just never got around to it. But um, that, I mean, that got nominated for best animated feature, I think. So there's that yeah, one. The, the most excited I have been, like, at a new movie that I saw that I can recall was was Bohemian Rhapsody. I actually like gently wept through like the last half of that <laughs> and Whoa, said wow. to and said to, for for what the reason I mentioned earlier. You know, you you just kind of come out of it. Because it's it focuses on the period of, like up to Live Aid, 
So where where Freddie Mercury knows that he's you know he's got AIDS and all this and yeah oh but it's uh but I and and I said to her that and it's true like the last time I remember crying that long (laughs) you know was election night 2016 (laughs) but for different reasons (laughs) you know uh but so anyway that that's just a one more um thumbs up for Bohemian Rhapsody I guess uh but. Yeah, just haven't seen some a lot of these newer things yet. Oh yeah, yeah. Never mind. I was gonna say that was the last I saw it in theater, but we did see uh, uh, the favorite. And um, yeah, last last night we went to the Alamo Draft House because they were playing The Crow. Oh, that's <laughs> that was so awesome. that was cool, cool to see on the big screen. What after is that? Twenty fifth this year. Twenty fifth. Yeah, it would be in May, but um. They were, I can't remember why they were showing it. They're showing it as part of some sort of series. Jesus, we're fucking old. I know. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, but it was great. And the bride went with me. She had a you know a, a fondness for that movie before we met because of just the cultural zeitgeist at the time and the the VHS release with the Brandon Lee interview at the end and his having passed away and stuff. Yeah. So. So, yeah, that was cool. It was great to see it, like, you know, writ large like that. I noticed, you know, little details visually that I hadn't in years and stuff. But, Did they, um, do you know if they had a film print or was it a digital or? It was, it was definitely digital. I think they pretty much do that, at least at the the, the Alamo Drafthouse showings that I've been to. Yeah. Like the Frankenstein double feature and the Alien double feature. <clears throat> but it's such a nice, whatever pro- projection system that they have. Like, one of the things that I noticed that I, I'm sure I have the same Blu-ray print or whatever that they showed, but I never noticed in this one scene that there's a hair in the gate of like the upper right oh, corner. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which I could, because uh, there for a second, I was like, is this some kind of film print? And then I realized like once they got out of that scene, the thing went away. You know, they but, they could have though a digit a new digital transfer. They could have a new up res of it. Uh, yeah, it could, could be, be on a hard drive and not necessarily true, a Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, that yeah. gets released from the studio for things like this. So, yeah. I, I I mean, because that technology was just starting to become ma- mainstream when I worked at the theater. Like we we had a server, and we had that one digital projector that did the 3D, which that theater now is all digital. There's no the shaker. Yeah, shaker square. There's no uh film projector all those film projectors got moved to the basement of cedarly uh oh where they're just oh. be like rotting in storage probably yeah um, so, <laughs> they're not using them either i'm sure oh I'm, no I'm, I'm sure they're not using them i'm sure what they're doing is either like the, I, i'm sure cedar lee has reserved some film projectors just for the types of movies that they show uh, so they probably just keep those to scavenge parts as they need them to keep those projectors running the few yeah. that they run running as long as possible. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So, but that, that technology was just coming where like, you know, when a movie comes it, it, on film, it would come in, it could come on five to seven reels that uh, yeah. like small reels that all need spliced together onto one yeah. big reel. Right. And, uh, in the industry, we call them cigarette burns. Yeah, yeah. If you, we didn't do changeovers though. Slicing. Like that, yeah. um, that that's old, old school. Is yeah. changeovers? Uh, <laughs> no, but 
the, that one projector, those movies would come in these like, they look like black boxes that you'd find in an airplane wreck. Like they, in these like plastic cases. And when you opened them up, they were vacuum sealed, the hard drive in there. And you would run that deck into the server and it would copy the movie onto the server. And there was a key, a digital key that that movie would only run for certain dates at certain times. Oh, wow. You could Holy shit. Yeah, you couldn't like So that way you couldn't like sneak all your friends in at 2 a.m. and watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Like that's more sophisticated than I realized. Yeah. I tried to crack a couple of those keys and I could not do it. Like they were <laughs> they were just like simple text files, so I was like, "Oh, I'll just change these dates." And resave it oh. and re-upload it. Nope, didn't work. Uh, so <laughs> there was some kind of encryption in there that I could not copy. But that's cool. Yeah, that's how. I mean, and and the cool thing was, now you don't even have to go to the projection booths. You can run everything from the office, from the ticket booth, if you wanted to. You can bring it up. Oh bring up the theater and hit start and in the movie will like start like the it'll it'll do it all from there you don't have to do anything oh wow that's if you want to manually start and stop the movies you can also go in and put your schedule in and say the movie's supposed to start at this time and it knows to lower the lights and do all that stuff and then you don't have to do anything it just runs all Jesus. on its own <laughs> like well you just update the schedule once a week that's i mean that's it, you're taking the job of multiple people and one person could do that you know yeah like it kind of taking the humanity out of like yeah that process this is neither here nor there but it just sprung into my mind i mean it's about movie uh, theater experiences but you know remember that scene in true romance where um clarence and alabama meet during the screening of street fighter they're like in the theater yeah when that there's a little bit on the dvd there's a little bit more to that scene in a very skinny very young jack black comes as an usher kind of come down like the thing to like kick people out of the theater what? he's got like a shaved head yeah it's so kind of i don't know it just sprung into my mind as like you know one of those jobs that would be less necessary perhaps in a automated situation but he uh, played a douchebag friend of an older brother or something in some movie a long time ago too let me see here i can't believe he's in true romance I mean, he's not in the release print, but he's in the, you know, the, and he's part of that. Well, I, I don't know. I was a little surprised by watching that Hot Ones, uh, Tenacious D Hot Ones, where they're talking about how he and Kyle got together as Tenacious D, like back in the late 80s. So, yeah. Uh, and they did the not like each other. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I can, uh, like, I think both of them have, I, I, I think their characters, like, are based on some bastardized, exaggerated form of their actual personalities. Yeah. I mean, most popular rock personas are like that. Yeah. You know, and if you so think of I, like the big ones, I can see both of them being really off putting <laughs> to try to like, <laughs> yeah. and honestly, their talent was the only thing that really brought them together. I love that thing when the hot ones where Jack Flack was saying about like, they're kind of like Kanye, except for they have a, their thing is like what you're saying, like this kind of exaggerated thing. And he goes, except for with him, I think he believes it. (laughs) 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 Just, (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Are you thinking of to die for, or is that 
even is it even earlier? The movie to He's die for. Biodome. Oh wait, Tenacious D in Biodome. <laughs> Biodome. <laughs> Tenacious D is in Biodome. That's crazy. Oh really? Yeah, Holy shit. Uh. I know he's in Cable Guy, but I think it was before that. The bride has been to the real biodome. She went in an academic capacity really? in the last few years. Yeah. <laughs> and studied the something about it, not the biology of whatever it is, but um Yeah, anyway, that was a weird digression, I guess. But uh Yeah. Anyway. And 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 yeah, we you know, the thing I do I love that Alamo Draft House chain. Like it's so cool what they do there and how they elevate like the experience of going to the movies and um, but yesterday we did have not a great experience because we had a bad waiter essentially. Um, oh, you know, just, but, uh, um, but other than that, like w- the bride and I, in this last couple of weeks, I've been like, I've been doing stuff mostly. I've been digitizing a lot of things. I've been kind of working on this goal thing. We'll talk later about, um, I've been making some good progress on my, uh, dog days sort of anniversary edition. Um, which obviously I'll talk more about that when it's a real thing, but it's been a work in progress for quite a while. It was supposed to be a 10th anniversary and that's not happening because 10th anniversary was last year. Um, but the bride and I watch certain things like together and one of the, and there's been a little bit of a gap in the, you know, a lot of the broadcast stuff we watch. So we watch together homecoming. The it's an Amazon Prime series starring Julie Roberts and oh, uh, directed yeah. by Sam Esmail. I wanted to from, watch that. It's really good. Um, I don't know. It's the fr- it, I guess it's the I think it's a combination of Sam Esmail's the director's like cinematic approach, which is very deliberate. Like in some ways, it's Kubrickian, except in it, but it's just one of those things where it's a very distinct style. Yeah. Very, very stylized approach to the, to the medium. And you know, from Mr. Robot, like he established that and he, he's carried it over to this, um, though he's changed it for the, for the story. But anyway, I think it's the Julia, a combination of that cinematic approach and Julia Roberts, like one of the biggest movie stars like ever in the lead role or in a lead role. Um, makes it feel like a movie and in, in a way oh. that even even some of the television stuff that is elevated to the level and, it is and hadn't quite felt i know that that the gist of that is it's a a rehab center for people with post-traumatic stress disorder right yeah. and uh but it seems that there's more than meets the eye yeah yeah <laughs> so um that was very worthwhile. Uh, we watched that together. Um, we would binge in little like sh- fits and starts. Oh, okay. Uh, but I would definitely recommend that. You know, if I have a Dave's Digs or whatever for the week, that would be it. It uh, it's very worthwhile. It's it's like, you know, I keep calling these things fun or whatever. <laughs> it, it, but and I guess that's just like, did I enjoy it? Was it enjoyable? And uh, this was this is uh, there's like a mystery to it. The bride really likes that sort of thing. There's a sort of rich aesthetics that I enjoy and, um, you know, really engaging performances. Um, yeah, it's very, it's very cool. Homecoming. Homecoming. Uh, you can check that out on, on Amazon. Yeah. <clears throat> there was that came out right around the same time as bird box. I think like maybe within yes. a few weeks of each other. Yep. And, uh, I remember there being like similar buzz about both of those things. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah. 
Yeah, so we I think really we picked one over the other in terms of order because I know right. that she's also interested in that. We've, we've been chipping away also um, at the second and final season of Vice Principals. She got me for uh, Christmas, which is the um, Danny McBride, Walton Goggins, you know, silly series from HBO. It's so fucking fun. <laughs> I love that. Those. It's just like that whole Danny McBride, David Gordon Green um jody hill the, their sort of cadre if that's yeah. a, is, that a, is that a word yeah of of like uh creative people that that met in you know, north carolina um and and were making they started out like making art movies together like george washington all the real girls and uh undertow and it's just sort of moved into like now they they really get carte blanche to do whatever the fuck they want for hbo yeah. and it it's it's so fun (laughs) so fun so i i have been that's a very short run i know danny mcbride was in it but was did he have that whole troop of people for eastbound and down it's yeah it's the same yeah like because that show was Uh, fucking fantastic (laughs) did you watch how much of it did you oh yeah how much much of it did uh, you see maybe like most of the way through the second season at least i think like in Mexico, yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> got the cornrows, yeah, all of that, and just like, oh man, you're fucking out. Like, did you ever get to? No, probably not, because when it comes back, maybe it's season three where Matthew McConaughey is in it. <laughs> oh no, are you serious? <laughs> oh man, oh it's incredible. He's like an agent or something. Uh, I don't remember what he is, but I just remember him talking like he's like, you gotta suck the dick of life. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's awesome! Yeah. You know what's funny is the the. Do you remember all the real girls? It, like the movie, not just the bust ass. I've never like, seen the movie. Vaguely? All I know is a oh. bust ass scene. Like these pants are new okay. as hell. That's all I know. That's all you really need. I mean, yeah. that's a fantastic movie, but that scene is like the funniest thing Danny McBride's ever done in my estimation. That deleted scene, but uh, there's an actor who's in a lot of their movie, a lot of their stuff, who's who's gone on to be in all kinds of things. I don't know when this guy sleeps. His name is Shay Wiggum. I think I'm saying that right. You would definitely notice him. He's he's a really well-established character actor who started. I don't know if he started with them, but he's in in a lot of their projects. Um, Sam Wiggum, Shea Wiggum, like S H E A. He um, I mean, some of the other mainstream stuff he's in was like Silver Linings Playbook. He played the uh, brother and. Oh yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, he's in fucking everything. Yeah, like he's in he's in both East. Well, no. He's in several. He's, yeah, he's in Vice Principles and Homecoming. Yeah, <laughs> and he's just in fucking like everything. And I think he's in one of the movies we saw. So he's just like everywhere. Uh, he doesn't get a lot of attention, but I think one of these days he really will. But anyway, those are yeah. That's kind of what we've been um, watching. Um, and this may be a segue, but the first new movie I have seen in 2019 is. Uh-oh. The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, shit. <laughs> so let's just boop right into this. Oh, okay. Uh, So, well, let's take a step back first. So then that must mean you either got at least through Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption yeah, in different just, seasons. Yeah, just Rita Hayworth in uh, different okay, seasons. Okay, so that's all you've read so far. Yeah, I figured, I mean, what, there are four... four four stories yep. in, the, in different in Stephen King's different seasons short story collection and three of them are 
feature films. So I, I think I'm going to watch them as I go. And the fourth one is unfilmable, and you'll know why when you when you read it. Yeah, I'm a little tempted to. I was going to jump ahead because I want to make sure to like savor the. I don't want to rush too much, especially because some of the like, you know, Stand by Me is one of the most beloved movies, you know, and yeah, and popular culture and cinema history, or whatever, and certainly uh, the Shawshank Redemption. So, um, anyway, but in the audio book, it's not so easy to like skip ahead and know where you are. And and actually, when I finished the short, when I finished Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. Like it's got those great final lines, you know, of Red saying like, I hope this, I hope this, you know, I hope. Yeah. And then, but like in the audiobook, no sooner does that syllable finish than he goes, app pupil. And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so I had to like stop it. I was like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the like lossless. I think iTunes like takes that out so that it just jumps to the next track real quick. Oh man, that's funny. Uh, okay, so you re- went through the book. I found that if I remember, the 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 book almost was like a great treatment for the movie. Like the movie really like flushed out the important bits of the book. And uh, sorry, I just pulled up my notes from the that. Yeah, that sounds right. Or or it's such a a limited view, right? It comes from Red's yeah. third hand. Well, some of it's just downright like legend at the, this point, like yeah. the point that Red is writing it down. And some of it is he telling the story point, like at the hotel before he goes, or like is that even a part of the story that he goes down and meets back up with Andy then at the end? In the so in the in the novella or whatever you call it, like that, their actual reuniting at the end doesn't happen. Okay. Uh which is one of the things special to the to the movie but the so the the general narrative i think he writes in prison so just for i don't know i i didn't see so Shawshank Redemption is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year as well um yeah it uh i never saw it like in all those years i tried one time to watch it i think like on TBS and i was just like in a bad emotional state myself and it was t- one of the early scenes of like who's gonna crack on their first night and break down in tears and i yeah. was literally just like fuck this i can't watch it yeah and then i and then i haven't watched it and i've been a little scared of it and also just just never had the right opportunity until now um but the the general gist of it in case you're not going to watch it or just so you can follow along is it's the story relayed by one prisoner red who's a long timer um life sentence has serving a life sentence in prison shawshank prison uh about this this uh this guy called andy dufresne who was a banker who went into prison for killing his wife and her lover and then and eventually spoilers (laughs) he breaks out andy dufresne does but the book is like written from red's point of view telling about like what he knows of Andy's situation, et cetera, and up into a certain point where they start to become friends and then he can speak to it on a first person account. And then towards the very end, um, once Andy has broken out, he sort of tells, he's like, here's how I think it would have happened. Yeah. And then he comes back one more time. Like you think it's the end of the story and red comes back one more time to say like, Oh, and I'm out of prison now. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, didn't think I would ever, you know, uh, write more of the story but 
uh, and then he there's like a little coda to it, but it's it's pretty like it's a, a hundred pages. Yeah, in the nineteen. It's not very long, and it and it's all the major beats of the movie. Yeah, it's like, like the whole movie. Yeah, in fact, the movie includes a little more <laughs> than yeah. this this book does. Uh, what's the year on it? Nineteen eighty two is the co- copyright of the short story collection, different seasons that Palmer got me from a birthday, uh, and the Blu-ray. So that's like the starting point uh, of it. And uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. Like I enjoyed, I w- no, I was scared. Like I, I remained a little scared of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and, and in the, in the first, you know, so many pages of the story, it starts hard. Like with, yep. with Andy getting like raped by the sisters as they call them. And, uh, oh, it was just like, I was, and, and my, the bride the whole first act that, is horrific it starts with a murder yeah it start he like he gets found guilty he goes to the hardest fucking prison like in the state that scene is hard that first scene where they're all taking bets all the like guys that are already in prison they watch the guys getting off the bus who it's their first day in jail in prison yeah. And they start taking bets on who's going to be the first one to crack that night. Yeah, like emotionally. And uh, Clancy Brown plays the hardest fucking screw in Shawshank. Yeah. Uh, yeah. which the guard, y- I guess. Yeah. Right? Never the, uh, we should say, like, it takes place... Well, it takes place in the book over even more time. Like, from the, I don't remember, what, 50s to the 70s or something, or... Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's in the past. In the movie, this is one of the things I love. The movie really shows passage of time with Red's multiple parole hearings. Yes. So it starts out, he's very young. Like, it's amazing how much he ages. I was floored by that. Over the movie, right? Yeah. Because he's so young in that first scene. He, it's his parole hearing. It's when he meets Andy Dufresne. It's Andy Dufresne's first year because the, even the movie is kind of told from his perspective. Yeah, Red reads the narration, yeah. and it's Morgan Freeman in the movie, which yeah. is fucking awesome, obviously. Um, and so he is so young, and it's these parole hearings, and everyone marks the passage of time in the movie where there will be the, his next parole hearing, and it's kind of this running theme through the movie of like, you know, everyone up until the last one, he tells them what you would expect them to want to hear. I've been. Re- yeah, he's almost got like a re- rehearsed script. Yeah. And he says exactly the same thing. Yes. Two of them. And uh, he gets rejected for parole. He's been in jail, by the Ooh. way, since he was like 15 or something crazy. Yeah. Since he was very young. And uh, the last one, he they. He's like, because the question is always, have you been rehabilitated? And the other cool thing with those, there's so much jam packed into those scenes because the parole board commissioner is a different kid every time. Yeah. Like they get progressively younger as he's getting older. And so the last one is this like super young kid. And it's just to show this like glaring age gap between, you know, for how long Red's been in there. And he just tells the kid, he's like, you asked me if I've been rehabilitated. Frankly, I don't give a shit. Yeah. And like, <laughs> yeah. it's approved. Like, they parole right. him. 
I was just looking, and, and he was Morgan Freeman was fifty seven when he played that role. He looks like he's in his thirties. Like yeah, or uh, I don't know. I would. I don't think I was. Even though I had, you know, read the story, or listened to the story, I wasn't. I don't know. I just didn't wasn't focused on the time thing, or that the time would pass. And so I'm watching a movie from nineteen ninety four. And Morgan Freeman looks young. And I was like, well, that seems right. He was younger. Yeah. <laughs> and then it wasn't until they started to like, you know, age. And then I realized like, oh, seven is like the next year. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the mics for me. I know he's played many things, um, but that's actually the role of Somerset in seven is the one I most readily picture him in. And uh, that's an older cop at that time or whatever he would have been like 58 when he filmed like that would have been age appropriate so it's probably towards the end of red story where he's playing his actual age, age yeah. <laughs> but he seems young as fuck like so in the, young. and actually they did an amazing job with all of those guys like yeah with the subtlety of the aging uh didn't call attention to itself so so this movie has shown up um in the past decade on multiple lists as fans in the top 10, if not the number one greatest movie ever, ever made. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I know I am on IMDb's list. It's like the top rated, like user rated film of all the films that are on, on, on there. Um, it is. I, I remember this, this one. I remember when this came out on video, this was one where when my mom because my mom was in a bowling league, and so on Friday, really? yeah. Oh, it, in Ritman, I played in that. No, bowling no, alley. she or was she it closed? went uh, to Wadsworth to Great Oaks Lanes. Uh, oh, like an adult. <laughs> my first it, bachelor party there. Oh, nice. <laughs> you and I sang when love comes yeah, to town. That's right. <laughs> and everyone went to get high, and I was pissed. <laughs> anyway, I know that lane. You sorry, I, I yeah. stepped on a perfectly good story. No. So, so home video. Your mom was in a Wadsworth bowling so, league. So every friday like my i was allowed to get carino's pizza and rent a movie before she would go on her bowling league and i remember when this came out we got it like the like the first weekend it was out and i watched it by i was i had no filter like i was allowed to watch anything i wanted to watch and uh i watched this movie when did it come out 1994 94 yeah september i think they said i remember watching this and just be, be being so young i would have been 14 and i was still blown away with how amazing this movie was yeah i remember in the so i i, I just watched it this year and i watched it with the the blu-ray and um which was largely i think a. I don't even know if it's like a new scan or like whatever. It might have just been Blu-ray up-res of yeah. uh, the 2004 10th anniversary edition. So it says, though, in that there's a, there's a Frank Darabont commentary, which was his first commentary, I guess. There's a some sort of like retrospective making of type thing that is obviously older than the second one that, uh, that's on the disc, which would have came out in 2004, make, made by uh, Mark Kermode, who's like... I don't know a lot about him other other than he made one of my favorite making of things on a DVD, which is for The Exorcist. Um, he's an English, I, I'm going to say journalist, but definitely like film critic and he makes these kinds of things. Uh, that came 2004, so all this like 10th anniversary stuff. And then a, uh, a, 
an interview with Morgan Freeman, Frank Darabont, and Tim Robbins on the Charlie Rose show around that 10th anniversary. So that's the perspective they're coming from. And they're, they're coming from that perspective of the 10th year anniversary pretty consistently, like in mentioning it and yeah. a lot of the, you can tell like it, I don't know. That's a mark in time from when these, from when these sort of supplementary material materials were made. Because basically, I, I guess I mentioned that and I'm sure they do too, is because when it came out in 1994, it was not a commercial success. It ultimately got like seven Oscar nominations, but it won none of them. Yep. Um, and but so the home video thing is what made me chime in. They said it was the number one rental of 1995. Oh, yeah. Video. Yep. That's where it kind of started. It's well, and I can totally ascension. see that. And I just I it's just one of those movies that it's so good. And and it's it it's so vindicating the ending is so it's such a good payoff i remember just being blown away with the ending and how good you felt like escape you mean yeah they're reuniting and and all of that and just like (laughs) handing it to the warden and getting you know everybody it just it it's very rare that everything tidies up so neatly for a Stephen King story. Right. And, Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. And it just like, it just tidies up so nicely and you feel like it sucks that Andy Dufresne had to go through all of like 20 years, 20 years of all of that. He lost of his life, but look at all that he gained in those yeah. last moments, you know what I mean? In that last or sort of because of those yeah. 20, 25 yeah. years. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they get at that at, at some point. Sorry. No. Yeah. Keep going. But I, like I, I just lo- <laughs> like that. I remember being blown away watching that on home video that where he gets uh, climbs out of that tunnel, that tube and falls yeah. into that water and just like strips his shirt off. And it's like, it's the same thing. That's the cover on the, um, uh, on, on the poster. It's him in the rain. Yeah. With his shirt. Except like, for, except for that one, he's got like a coat on. That was obviously a reenactment. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like in, in, in the scene. Um, but and, and I, funnily enough for me, like one of the touchstones in my mind was the crow yeah. <laughs> because that's a sort of, actually, it's not even a moment in the crow movie. It's a moment from the comic book, but a, but a photo I saw a lot. Of, of Brandon Lee reenacting a moment from the comic book, but he's standing in the rain with his arms st- outstretched. So yeah. it's like, I don't know. There are certain things, you know, you've got your 1999 was that year in film for you. For me, that was very much 1994. Absolutely. Like, e- even in things like this that I had a striking awareness of, but n- I'm only just now seeing like I, that was some sort of zeitgeist for me, but, but yeah, so that's one of the iconic images in the movie of like freedom of him arms out stretched under the rain like out from the goosebumps prison. i mean i'm thinking about it now and i'm covered in goosebumps it, it, it just like it's one of those purely cinematic payoffs that you you have invested every emotion into andy dufresne and by the end of you know like when that kid that young kid gets shot and he gets put in the in oh, solid yeah. like you're devastated. I, I like by that point in time, you're so emotionally invested in those characters. Like, 
best rap year. <laughs> Moto, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I do remember he was listening to Tupac. Tupac and what else? Oh, Regulators. Yeah. Mount up. I had that cassette single. Awesome. <laughs> Which Regulators uh, is the name of a um of a Stephen King book? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Is that the one that the, the Bachman double? Yeah, there's a up? Bachman. Maybe the regulators is by Bachman and the, the oh, what's this the other one that's tied to that shit? Oh, I can't think. That's on one of our very first episodes. Yeah. But uh anyways, this was also Frank Darabont's and Stephen King's first like like major collaborate studio collaboration together yeah which is a, an, an interesting distinction because frank there one of frank darabont's like early efforts or student films was one of those dollar baby, was dollar baby yeah. scenarios for the woman in the room I, I haven't seen it but um and i can't remember that story other than it was from night shift but uh I, so isn't he, that the I, one where he like gives his mom too many pain pills to like kill her that sounds right Yes. Yeah, it's just a weird title. To just for... like put her out of her misery because it, and Stephen King wrote it watching his mom die of cancer basically. And right. unbeknownst to Frank Darabont that being the backstory to to it that's the film that he chose for his Dollar Baby. And the way Stephen King tells it is cuz the deal with the Dollar Baby is Stephen King gets a copy of the movie. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and he said he remembers watching it and saying this kid's going to actually do something like he's going to be he's going to be a director. Right. And then yeah, like however yeah. many years later they get the like he gets the call that they got this young kid that's going to do who wants to do Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, oh man. Uh and actually different seasons I, I'm only the first of three store or four stories in. Yeah, but I feel like my the sense I get of it, knowing kind of what Stand by Me is in a loose sense, vague idea of apt pupil and stuff. But it seems like these are not horror stories in the traditional no, Stephen King sense. No, not that there's something. Not necessarily that there's something supernatural. Right. Yeah. So, like the Bachman connection is sort of interesting too, because that's when he was first dabbling with that idea of like stepping out of what had made him successful sure. with like your you know Carrie and Salem's lot like stuff. human horror instead of like yeah, supernatural horror in, in the jacket yeah like the 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 dust jacket the of the edition you got for me the first like the inner thing says quote is horror all you is, is horror all you'd write italics is the second most frequently asked question of Stephen, Stephen King and I guess there's an afterward where he talks about it more, but it sounds like that's, this was like, you know, under his own name when the, perhaps the first time you put out such a, a differently focused thing. Yeah. And each of them is focused on a different, so Shawshank Redemption, Rita Hayworth. And, and I, I sort of like that distinction. I have to say Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, not the Shawshank Redemption, right. but rather just redemption that happens at Shawshank. I rather like, uh, it's called hope. It says hope springs eternal. So I'm I'm guessing it represents spring. Uh, but uh, and when when and I was so unfamiliar with it that when Red says like the day Andy Dufresne came to ask me about Rita Hayworth, 
could I smuggle Rita Hayworth into Shawshank? I said, sure. I was like, I figured he meant the person. The woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I wish I could. um, There was one. I'll I'll look it up for later because I have a bunch of tabs, but not this one. Um, I uh, there was a line in it in the like actual prose that because the movie is so similar, uh, it's easy to talk about the movie and maybe some of the differences between them. But I wrote down this one line from from the book just before I even watched the movie because I love the book so much that I'll just remind me to read later. I guess. Uh, but <clears throat> as a sidebar. What did you think of uh, Shawshank Prison? Plays a huge is is a major set piece in uh, the Stephen King universe. Even on with like Castle Rock, you know yeah. that's that that's like what's still keeping Castle Rock afloat in that series. Um, right, right. Do you remember some of the Shaw? So now that you've watched Shawshank Redemption, do you remember some of the Shawshank nods that they had in that show? I remember from the podcast and stuff that the person who hosted this like who are you now type video in Castle Rock had the same last name as somebody and was somehow connected. So I remember that. But otherwise, visually, the thing I connected was the warden's office, I guess, in that scene where the one character comes in and like shoots everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The geography of that office looked very like seemed like they took a lot of care to match Earlier the Shawshank movie. on in that episode, there's somebody is giving a tour, and she even says, when they come into that office, she's like, and Shawshank itself has a sordid history and past just like all of its tenants. Just for example, over there, you can still see the bullet hole where Warden... Oh! And she's I alluding to, to him shooting himself. Uh, okay. Yes. Yes. So uh, there was a couple. I forget that was the major one that I remember. I remember they did do a good job of recreating the warden's office. Um. Oh, the song that Andy Dufresne plays and oh. broadcasts over is the song that in Castle Rock the warden commits suicide to. That's the one that's really. On yeah. Uh, oh wow so when Locke from lost drives off that cliff with the rope tied around his neck uh he is listening to that same song oh that's amazing that that um so that that scene where andy breaks into the warden or like takes control of the pa and plays this like opera um that's not in the book uh yeah but it was the first time the movie like really grabbed me like that's where i was moved to tears and it was it went and it was for the exact same like reason that all of the men were stopping and staring like it was this and red talks i wish i could remember what he says but it was like something to the effect of like i don't know what the people in that song were singing about i don't even want to know but it was kind of this feeling that it represented yep. it was so moving to me i don't yeah it was uh it's and that- then Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, please. No, 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 no. You, you go. It, well, it, <laughs> it, it's that recurring theme. Why Andy Dufresne is such an amazing protagonist is that he is constantly adding humanity in an inhumane environment. 
Um, Like in the movie, I love how they keep coming back to he strolled through the yard. And we know by the end, we know his strolling was actually so he could kick out the dust that hit from his wall. I never even actually like really connected that. That's great. But, (laughs) but like it, the fact that that that's, that was red's representation of Andy Dufresne. Like he, this place never. And that's why all those characters, when they're like at the end, when they're like, you know, Andy's been acting really weird. They all know that and that you know that he's seen much worse but now all of a sudden his humanity is gone and he like yeah and they all can feel it and they don't know and and that's why he's like he asked for he asked for 10 feet of rope and they're like and you gave it to him and he's like of course right. i gave it to him it's andy you know like yeah you know, uh oh man god damn that's such a great fucking movie it's so good it is uh, and when they the they were talking about how that scene added for the movie in the commentary frank darabont basically says like yeah this is not in the book but in a lot of ways this is this is the whole thing this is the whole movie like this one scene of what this guy does um you know he's captive but he sort of takes charge of his own humanity and he shares it with other people um oh it was great i have very few notes surprisingly so i might as well like i'll just try to hit him here um, the Shawshank, the difference is the script and the faithfulness. So I've always heard that this is like a perfect script and this is the best adaptation like ever. Yeah. And, and so I was always aware of that. And I, there was a series of, uh, scripts published in the mid to late nineties. I don't know if it still is or not, but I can sort of picture the artwork. I have some, I have the gods and monsters version, uh, but I remember Larry had the Shawshank rede- Redemption script, and he, he said that this actually, this volume publishes the short story as well, and you know it's presented as this perfect thing. So I've always had that in the back of my mind, and now I now I really want to get it, um, having gone through like the the experience that I've had of, of reading slash listening to the book and and um, and watching and studying the film a little bit, but. The so as you mentioned, like the the novella is told directly from Red's point of view, and at a, and there's a certain point where it's kind of it's great to where Red acknowledges that like yeah I'm talking about Andy, but really I'm this is about me of course right. you know because and so that's rather interesting, but what what's great is and 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 hearing about the journey a little bit of the movie from you know, the page to the screen as it were the Frank Darabont was talking about to him. That seemed like such a, an obvious or cinematic choice, but he said even Stephen King hadn't really considered it as such. And, um, it was, it was their previous connection with the woman in the room short that, you know, helped a little bit to just the, to ensure that it was, um, you mean telling it from Red's perspective or, well, just that it's not like you were saying the, the novella reads like some sort of treatment for the movie. Um, but the movie is so meaning, I guess that I'm, I'm think I'm guessing that the, the, the movie is so much more than is suggested in the novella. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think some of why it's this paragon of the the format paradigm of the format and and paragon of this like excellence um in the medium is because 
it adapts the story visually and opens it up as they say for scope without ever losing the essence of like what it is and actually really adhering to it super faithfully. And in the few moment places where it deviates slightly does so in a way that like really keeps with what, where the story can't seem to come from and actually sort of makes it better. Like the movie is better than the book, I would say. <laughs> um, and the book is pretty great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, um, I, <sighs> I mean, they're almost apples and oranges, but it, the movie is just such a better. It, in my opinion, it was a much more fulfilling experience. I remember the movie. I don't yeah. remember the novella as much. You know what I like? Yeah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Particularly in this case. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> another interesting side fact. So my boss from Hollywood Video, who is on an episode of WPLMR. PLMR or Palmer's Picks? Palmer's Picks, sorry. Oh, I got really excited for no, a second. Oh, jeez. You mean Bart? No, no, Chris. His yeah, name is Chris. Chris. Yes. Okay. He is an extra in Shawshank Redemption. That's right. I was trying he to think. Did. I was trying to remember if it was him or Joe Gaines that was uh, on. Okay. Yeah, no. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so there's, a, yeah. there's a, a, a montage in the movie uh another where they're progressing time through showing how andy uh essentially sets up as a personal fine like financial manager for the prison essentially um and there's a baseball team who is there in one of the scenes to get their taxes done and there is one guy he's got his leg his like foot propped up on a bench and he's looking at a piece of paper and he's shaking his head like this yeah that's my boss that's Ah, awesome yeah i bet that's on the palmer's picks thing i'm soon to digitize those on oh man panasonic ag seven (laughs) seven that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) oh man um oh that's awesome yeah Yeah, because it's filmed in mansfield ohio at this uh at the Mansfield the, Reformatory, uh, which is a terrible haunted house. Don't even waste your money. Just, oh, in terms of like not good? <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Uh, just go for the tour. It's an amazing building. It's scary enough as a building. Um, yeah, that's what several times uh, they kept going back to the Tim Robbins anecdote when he's, his son visited. He I don't he didn't say the age of, this, of his son, but he said like it, th- it's like this is a sad place. I don't want to be here is what he told. Yeah. It's like, they all felt it had this, this sort of, un, yeah, this weight to it of all the sort yeah. of wasted lives. And stuff like it that, is so. so true. Um, which I guess, so that's in Mansfield, the prison that they used for castle rock is a totally different prison. It's not the same one. It looks exactly the same though. Like it, it, it um, has that same like burnt stone it it looks like it's concrete but it was set on fire at some point in time it's got this like oh, black all running oh, down it and, like it's awesome. yeah it's crazy uh the uh the documentary on the the blu-ray that you sent me the mark commode thing yeah like I, they filmed his sort of what he likes to do he kind of narrates them and can okay sort of sets up the the backbone of the documentary so then it unfolds but He's doing his pieces, I believe, in the Mansfield Reformatory. It 
it looks like it was recently set on fire. Like everything is peeling off. Yeah. It looks so incredibly distressed. And and actually in the uh commentary, Frank Darabont is making a point of saying like people think we just like went to this prison and filmed, but he's like the art department deserves so many accolades because like everything you're seeing here is has been um modified very carefully even though it might seem like it uh, yeah it would look because it was already like i think uh, not in use and yeah it had uh, been replaced it was defunct essentially it was yeah they had had built a modern prison with like in the backyard of this prison um yeah yeah so So some of the key differences i guess with between the novella and the movie um well one of them being that it's not just from Red's perspective. So, yeah. like in the opening, you see like Andy in court for the the crime that he's convicted of. You see him like on the night the crime's committed, even though he didn't commit it. There's the, this tension they create that you don't necessarily know that he's innocent. Because right. in the movie, they they sort of set they set up this joke of like everyone in Shawshank is innocent, yeah. but Red. Yeah. <laughs> and Andy never makes a point of making his case. T- for his innocence to these other guys. But you don't necessarily know. They keep you in the dark as an audience member in, in a really effective way. Um, but so there's that. There's like shifting the perspective so that you get to see more, I guess, instead of just hearing about it from red talking. Like yeah. maybe if it was theater or something. Not even theater. Like that's how it, it works on the page like that. Red telling you a story. Sure. But in a movie, it was translated really uh well in terms of how you're able to see lawyer this fucked but me. some Ooh. lawyer fucked me yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. That's so great uh, oh yeah um the so some of the like the key differences that are i think are well they're they're all for the better meant i guess of the uh, effectiveness of the story um well red is not a white irishman <laughs> i don't think he is That's, in the book no, in the book he is. He's like a he's an Irishman, oh, like really? a red-haired Irishman. And oh. I remember listening to it knowing that I would see Morgan Freeman play this character. Yeah. When when they at some point it comes up in the in the in the book why they call me red, it's like an offhand comedy. He's like, I mean, I guess cuz I'm Irish. But I was like, you know what? I bet that's in the movie and he still says it. Yeah. And he does. And it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he still says, he says the same thing. Um, I mean, that's not one of the differences, differences, uh, but, got, but that movie, you girls got any Irish movie. in you, you want a little more, <laughs> that's not in the movie where that goes, no, that's, uh, I think it's the lead singer from Thin Lizzy was this like six <laughs> and a half foot tall black Irishman. And oh the, yeah, Phil Lynott. Yeah. yeah, and so he would like on stage, he'd be like, hey, any of you ladies in the audience got any Irish in you? And they'd all like, Wah! and he's like, yeah. you want a little more? <laughs> Which I just thought was like the most brilliant pickup line. Like, of course, oh, yeah. you know, because I'm such a chauvinist, but. Oh, yeah. I like it. <laughs> Moto just chimed in with a, oh, here's a story for another. The guides won't tell you. <laughs> Phil Hartman from <laughs> Sorry, <Mary laughs> to they took That's what turns. I was kind of pissing yeah. in the bitches <laughs> ocular <laughs> cavities i actually went to um that prison um 
in San Francisco a few years ago on the tour. And, and so I had this like Alcatraz. Yeah. So you have that sense of like, Oh my f- God, like people were court, you know, like they had to exist in these spaces. Yeah. Um, and th- I know the, uh, the actors were talking about that in like Tim Robbins said, he, he, you know, spent some time in the s- space that would be known as the hole, but he like, he always knew he would get out. It was just some idea to like have a sense of what, the restrictions were physically because I guess you couldn't stand up and, and stuff. Um, anyway, so some of these differences, I mentioned the casting, which is a, a key difference, but not really one that they intended. But so some of the things written where instead of there being several wardens, there's just the one. So it focuses that attention on yeah. <laughs> this way to the cafeteria. That's the next line. Yeah. That's the way to the cafeteria. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I love it. No, that's it's funny because that's actually um with the bride's cousin, that's one of the go to lines, like that whole like pissing into the bitch's ocular cavity. <laughs> comes up a lot. So I married Axe Murder comes up a lot. <laughs> uh, with people who are excellent. All right. Yeah. No. Uh so multiple wardens, they didn't do that. One warden. Yeah. Which who I thought the um so this guy does such a great job as the warden. Bob Gutton. Uh, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know his name, but I knew his face certainly. I can't see him as anything other than the warden from Shawshank. And the other things he's been, I'm like, oh, that's the warden yeah. from Shawshank. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and he's that. such a snake yeah. and just like so fucking sleazy and yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, that's one one of the ways they show the passages of time in in the in the novella. But yeah, I think it was wisely condensed in the movie to be that one guy uh oh the and then that i wish i could remember the name of the character but there's this younger prisoner who comes in who it's this moment where it it seems like i don't know like i i guess i must have known from that image of him with his arms outstretched that andy would escape like i just like i said i didn't know this movie i didn't know this story so i'm listening to the book i'm not I don't think I was ever really thinking that he would get out or I wasn't, I didn't, that was not a foregone conclusion for me as a, a new audience member. Tommy is that kid's name, the young kid. Tommy. Yeah. So basically in, in the story, this, this, this younger character comes like as a new prisoner and it comes out that he was in another prison with, 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 with basically the guy that did kill Andy Dufresne's wife and and the yeah. and her lover. So I mean, people presumed that because he was being cheated on and he was enraged and he had a gun and all this stuff that Andy Dufresne killed his wife and the guy that she was sleeping with, but he didn't. It was turns out to be this guy that Tommy shared a cell with. And so at this point in the story, like Andy's really like engaged in prison life and he's helping the warden out and all this he's got this stuff going and then he goes to the warden and says like oh my god like it turns out you know there's this new information and there's this guy who has who was who knows of the, the actual killer and i could get out and the warden basically shuts it down because he wants andy doing what andy's doing for him yep <laughs> um and in the, in the novella he they just transfer tommy to another prison and shut down Andy's hopes. And that does though, that is the thing that like breaks Andy's spirit yeah, or comes closest to doing that. 
in that story. And, and in the movie, they actually like you have think the, it, his spirit is broken. Like, yes, too. yeah, that uh, that's where they notice the other inmates notice that he's not strolling around. He doesn't have that inner sense of freedom. Yeah. That he exudes that kind of that draws him because I stepped him. on what you were about to say, but the warden actually kills that, like has that, yeah, that yeah, in, killed in the in the movie, like he he brings him outside and he's like basically confirming the information. And as soon as he does, they have the 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 key guard played by Clancy Clancy Brown shoot him. Yeah. <laughs> and so as a as someone familiar with the novella but not yet the movie, I was shocked in that moment because it you know it's a diversion from what happens. I was like fuck but it made perfect sense yeah. and um and they really set up that relationship in the movie more to to and i wouldn't say to mean something more to andy but to help that they do a great job in the movie of crystallizing things that a novel can take its time with yeah so like with the clancy brown character and that the pivotal scene for andy dufresne is when he convinces that guard that he could help him yeah. and to not basically throw Which, him off the and, roof. And it's one of the best <laughs> scenes in the whole movie. Like, do you trust yeah. your wife? What'd you say to me, boy? Yes. Like, yeah. And just like, and he's holding them over and just like all the other guys are looking at him. And not that he convinces him that he can help that guard. He convinces that guard. I'll only help you if yeah. you give us beer. That's what we yep. want. Three buddies, three beers a piece yeah. for my buddies. Yeah, he uh, doesn't even drink them, and he doesn't even drink his share. It and and just, uh, I I that I mean again goosebumps just thinking about that scene. It's what it's one of those, and this movie is full of a lot of them, but it's one of those iconic scenes that doesn't have to be pointed out and doesn't have to be played on lists and shown over and over again. You watch a movie and it's one of those scenes that just stays with you. You know, it's, it's like the DeLorean running into doc and Marty at the mall. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's the first time that they see the dinosaurs on Jurassic park. It, 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 it's all these iconic things and that scene, that whole scene, the way it plays out is just fantastic. I, I'm sure there were other big bad guards, right? Maybe not just the one that Clancy Brown played. I'm not super sure. Because um, it was the one that like... I don't remember his... the, him being a as clearly defined a character in the novella. Like, I, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't remember that being the case. That there was his that there was necessarily a Captain Hadley character that yeah was kind of like the 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 henchman for the warden, right? Right. Um but man, what a great addition though. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, he's one of the great I I would say character actors, but I guess he could be otherwise too. I mean, for me, like I think of him as Actually, I first encountered him when I was a really young person, like seeing the the movie called The Bride. Oh, <laughs> Funnily yeah. Funnily enough, <laughs> which was a remake of The Bride of Frankenstein, a very with Sting. loose remake. Yeah, with Sting as, as the Frankenstein character, Jennifer Beals as kind of, I guess, would be the bride of Frankenstein. 
uh, that he, I guess he created, but the monster in that and Warwick Davis plays a, a like a circus performer that, yeah, that yeah, monster encounters. Yeah. Um, but the monster is played by Clancy Brown. And so that's how <laughs> oh, I first in- wow. encountered him. <laughs> that, because that's, yeah. that actually, this might sound really funny to you, but that's one of the most like memorable Frankenstein monsters for me. Cause me too. <laughs> the Bride was one of the movies that HBO would have in the summertime that they would just play oh, over and over sure. and over again. So I saw that a bunch of times. Uh, awesome. And yeah. I I know him Highlander, obviously. Oh, that was the other thing. The Kurgan. Yeah. He's oh, that's indelible that role. He was he was fucking amazing as that guy. And more recently lost, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I'm 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 having a little bit of trouble remembering that part though. What, what what who did he play in Lost? Was it a Dharma guy? He was a Dharma guy. Um He had the eye patch. Was he the one with the eye patch? He was the one He was at one of the stations. Oh no. He was the one that was in the hatch. That brought Desmond in and, Before Desmond? and, and like recruited oh, Desmond right. so that he could escape the island essentially yes holy shit yeah 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 clancy brown rocks and he was he's a fantastic uh, actor he oh yeah he's mr crabby from fucking spongebob squarepants like <laughs> really yeah I that one, but that oh, i like that <laughs> and, and also the pirate at the beginning of the theme song where he's like are you ready kids i can't hear you like and then they sing the SpongeBob song. Oh, that's great! Oh, I love I, I yeah, he's he's incredible and and plays such a menacing character in this that uh, I think is yeah. I mean, there is one sort of lead guard that I think ultimately even becomes the warden and like chap the oh, ass of whatever okay. the warden that was outgoing. And I think probably Frank Darabont used him to yeah personify the guards and to help give the warden this kind of muscle, I guess. But that was, I felt like a really strong adaptation move to where that, that scene where he does appeal to that guard. I think it, I think it probably is that actual guard in the, in the novella um, on the rooftop that changes everything in his relationship to um, the other prisoners and such. Um, But they add, I think that first night where that, the, whoever it is that breaks, like, I don't think it's in the, the, the novella that that guard beats that guy to death no, no. <laughs> um and but, that and that is so off-putting i mean that's like oh yeah that's your introduction to shawshank which it, right. it's very effective <laughs> yeah it was and it, and it really sets up dramatically that guy as a guy to fear yeah like so yep. the, i feel like that scene exists to give the dramatic weight to the rooftop scene um but it is different than the than the novella and it was sort of an interesting note in the commentary um that they chose that frank darabont chose to play that in a wide shot basically because like he was trying to evoke the rodney king beating he's like there's something about seeing that from afar like that that to him made it that much more upsetting and he was trying to really also root it not so much in that character like yeah it was important dramatically for the character to be feared for that rooftop scene etc but also it was about the environment it was about shawshank yeah uh, as as that kind of fearful thing 
A um, couple other notes just uh, of that were amu- amusing to me or interesting to me. The you know Morgan Freeman's narration is one of the most most um, memorable things about the movie. Sure, almost all of it coming directly from the novella, but in certain scenes where that plays out, they actually played it on the loudspeaker like a music video to sync the action to. Oh, which wow. I thought was pretty cool. That's like, awesome. The rooftop scene. But the two that were called out in the commentary was the rooftop scene because they're there interacts a little bit like Morgan Freeman is relaying the events. And at some point Clancy Brown says something again, and then he comes, then Morgan Freeman chimes in to say like, you know, son of a bitch man managed to sound magnanimous, you know, that kind of thing. So it was timed out um, carefully, I think really, and really effectively. That kind of um, that when they are able to pull that kind of stuff off blows my mind in sound design because it's like those if they played that on a loudspeaker, their boom mics had to have been picking it up. Like you oh sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like and to be able to pull that out so that way you don't hear that on the main feed of the film without making all that dialogue sound overdubbed. Right? Like Yeah, yeah. Like because it didn't, you know, it, uh, yeah. And they weren't talking, yeah, but at the same time, like you could fix that in editing, but the way you would adjust that timing is by cutting away and stuff. And you don't have to, yeah, because they, because the, there was the intention of that long, dr- these long shots, uh, to, to show the kind of, I don't know, the, you know, the continuity, the, the reason you'd want to hold on a shot, which a lot of, a lot of shots are held a long time in, in that movie. And actually Frank Darabont is very proud that there are only three inserts in the entire thing. Like they weren't filmed on principal yeah, photography yeah. and they're like, you know, Andy etching his name into the wall and Andy, it's like the bullets in the, in the car at the beginning. I don't think he points out the third one, but the, but those two are actually end up being like Frank Darabont's hands and stuff. Oh wow. This is just a complete aside, nothing to do with anything except for me. But um, one of the other things about 1994 that is resonant for me is that's when the most faithful adaptation of the Frankenstein novel came out directed by Kenneth directed and starring Kenneth directed by and starring Kenneth Branagh, but written and Robert by, De Niro, right? Yeah. Robert De Niro as the creature, but that was principally written by Frank Darabont. Oh um, <laughs> yeah. Who has this sort of, and I, I, I'm, I'm so Frank Darabont and someone called Steph Lady, Steph Lady, who has no other screen credits, who I am not sure is a real person, <laughs> um, in terms of like not a pseudonym for say Kenneth Branagh or something. Right. But I'm so interested to find out what the actual Frank Darabont draft of that script is, because too, like there's one in that movie, there's one drastic differentiation from the Mary Shelley novel, which is when the Frankenstein monster makes good on his promise and is with Victor on his wedding night to kill his bride, to kill the bride of Frankenstein, as it were. <laughs> um, in, in the 1994 movie, Victor Frankenstein tries to revive his, his murdered bride, like, at, because he knows how, <laughs> right. Which makes perfect dramatic sense. Like he, that's like what he would do. I, I, I think, you know, oh. like he knows how to bring her back to life, he would want to. Um, 
so it seems to me like this great Frank Darabont leap of like bringing the the page to the screen in in spirit as well as like fact. Anyway, but that movie is there's it's criticized a lot for a lot of things, but and it came out basically two months after Shawshank actually. But uh, anyway, I was bringing up uh, <laughs> I I brought up his um his IMDb page just to, to take a look and what's funny is so he has the woman in the room buried alive the night shift collection which is what? direct to video Shawshank Redemption oh do you think the night shift collection might be a direct to video collection of student films of that short story too, collection by Stephen too King. Too many features from Stephen King's Night Shift collection. The Woman Ooh. in the Room and The Boogeyman. So it's just his, huh. it's the release of his version of The Woman in the Room. Did he make The Boogeyman too? Um, fascinating. No, now. no. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Anyway, um, but those are all early. Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, which also takes place in Shawshank Prison. Oh, yes. 1999, is that right? Uh, Yep. That's a 99. That's funny. 94, 99. Uh, 94 the Majestic Reigns, The yeah. Shield, and then The Mist, hmm. uh, which is another amazing Stephen King adaptation. Highly recommend I, I, watching that in black and white as well, which he, on the Blu-ray, oh. you can watch it in black and white. That's Oh, shit. He finds it more terrifying in black and white than in color. Interesting. I... That you shared the mist with me audio version a while back, and in my chronology, I think that's sort of messed up to where I passed it. So I'm sort of interested to go to the mist sooner rather than later because I was able to come across a cheap DVD version that had commentary by him and stuff. It, and it I know is I have a, this audio a version. Fantastic movie. It's really harsh. The ending is really oh. super harsh. <laughs> I'll try to prepare. Uh, but he also was the show. Like this, I forget this a lot. He was the original showrunner for The Walking Dead. I think about that a lot, actually, because <laughs> that's a that that show is looms large in our household. Yeah, like that's the bride's favorite show. Like the bride gets Walking Dead drops, <laughs> like from their like merch thing. Yeah, <laughs> and she she was mentioned on like the podcast that talks about The Walking Dead because she's like supports their Patreon. <laughs> so so we love that show around here. Uh, and I think about that a lot. Like, yeah, he was the first, he was the one to develop it for television. Yeah. And I think about that in terms of like Stephen King too, because in a lot of ways it's the closest, it's not actually the stand, but in some ways it is, <laughs> you know? Yep. Uh, anyway, it made sense to me that Frank Darabont with all his, his Stephen King connections connected to it. And as he much did as not he leave willingly. To from the walking dead right it was like kind of yeah is it acrimonious is that the right word yeah like, like, not good <laughs> uh the actors did not really get along with him i guess right and we're citing like, i actually don't even know yeah uh, I'm, I'm probably speaking out of turn which when but do yeah, i ever do that like... but he was not he was not like <laughs> yeah i know he did not leave on good terms from that show like he very much so considered it his show and then he was asked to leave it. Uh, and one wonders. Uh, I've heard that show has stagnated. It's, in some people's eyes, it has stagnated. 
Uh, yeah, the the brides too. Like I'm oddly less critical of things. I don't know why I say. I mean, I, do, I guess I I know why I say oddly, but I don't feel like taking twenty minutes to explain it. So I have accepted it much more. But um, there's the the Negan storyline, which is like this this super like there's always like big bads on TV series or whatever, and The Walking Dead has this tremendous like backlog of you know comic books ongoing comic books yeah in which the whole thing is big like hundreds of and, issues yeah, yeah yeah and then the hundredth issue introduces this really intimidating and horrible character called negan and um when that's the, the television like, show baseball the bat wielding yeah, yeah. And, and that's horrible and it's still the most horrific thing i've ever seen on television one of the most horrific things i've ever seen in movies like the guy beats people to a bloody pulp with a baseball bat and he likes to do it in this way that like terrorizes their friends like he won't kill you he'll kill the person you love next to you it's horrible it's horrible anyway so but kind of around that storyline and shortly thereafter and in retrospect people have been unhappy with how the show kind of unfolded and well I don't want to give a lot away but uh, anyway yeah I'm getting a little off track I guess now that I think about it to what the point is to this. well stagnation like, I, like did, it, stagnation yeah yeah it's uh the prize, she feels like it's stagnated a little bit she agreed that there is one season not the season that where that all happened with negan being introduced but the what they call the all-out war storyline where they the group rick's group rallies against negan she felt was uh a bit drawn out um there's spoiler stuff too like Ultimately, I think if you liked that show, it's very worthwhile to stick with all that. So I don't want to give things away. Too like they like they did it with the governor, and they did it. I feel like. Oh like, yeah, they would repeat certain cycles. Yeah, um, I feel like they've kind of broken out of those cycles. When the Negan thing happened, I was so upset about how it how horrible. And like it felt like this sort of pornographic violence, yeah, and terrorization of the audience that I was, I was upset about. But I had such an investment in that show, and a I guess a trust with the creative team that was working at that point. That I was like, I know they're doing this for a reason. I know they're not just like haunting my dreams to fuck with me. Like I know that why they're doing this is like why you would have the brutal beating at the beginning of Shawshank so that it has meaning later. Yeah. And I felt with the walking dead that the meaning would be something to do with like how that kind of violence is not, whether that be like how you overcome that adversary or whatever would not be the way. And I felt like they did do that. Yeah. And I felt confident at the time that they were moving somewhere and they, they are. And then they have a new showrunner now and that is still a really good, show <laughs> third show yeah. runner, right uh that sounds right yeah the the one who had been at the helm scott m gimple so often referred to as scott m gimple that's why i, I stuttered <laughs> he uh he is now so now that they have this spinoff show fear of the walking dead he is kind of more at the helm of the whole ship and now one of the early um I don't know if it was like one of the early regular writers, Angela Kang, I think is her name, is now the showrunner for Walking Dead. There's a showrunner for Fear the Walking Dead, and yeah. Scott and Gibble sort of oversees everything. And and Robert Kirkman still involved, the creator. Excuse me, still fucking writing Walking Dead books, like yeah. far ahead of the series. Um, yeah. 
Hmm. Anyway, but but yeah, like he had Frank Darabont had his hand in this as well, and uh, yeah. So just to, to, to try to wrap this up, um, he uh, yeah, there's the the narration. One of the well, he wrote the script in eight weeks, which was like really condensed. He said like he was in it to win it, as it were, and, but like really focused in a short burst of time. He uh, have this this random note that Randall Stevens is the alias for uh, Andy, like the one that he had the fake identity set up for. Sorry. Well, in the book, it's, I don't even, I think it's John Stevens. I could be wrong about that. It's a different Stevens, something Stevens, who they couldn't clear that name for legal for the movie. So they changed it to Randall Stevens and Frank Darabont verified that it was in honor of Randall flag. Oh <laughs> yeah. man, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah it's kind of fun. <laughs> and just um, in the like resonates in the Stephen King universe, which is awesome. Oh, exactly. Uh, Frank Darabont said that he, he watched um, uh, Goodfellas a lot while he was working on the adaptation to try to get a handle on the, the narration. He, he felt it was, you know, that, that can be bad. Like having a movie narrated, like that can be seen like as a cop out is done very well. Like, yes. Like yeah. With yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was kind of fun. Like to, to, to know in retrospect, I guess. Yoda. I, I don't think he moved fast cause he didn't have to like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, quick. Yeah. And then, um, I think that's the main Dad, Karen. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll get in trouble for that one. <laughs> she was just saying, like, I'm watching on YouTube. You seem a little drunk, bro. <laughs> She's right. <laughs> um, well, I drank five Elvis juices, so. Oh, wow. That sounds like a lot. All right. Two more things for uh, Shawshank, and then we'll. Then we'll uh, one being the last sort of major um departure from the book though it is present in the book it's just realized differently in the movie uh which is the whole um oh shit brooks yeah brooks storyline the older man who ran the library oh, yeah that was not the yeah and do what's amazing is is they add things like brooks like uh clancy's character those things get they they weren't they didn't exist the way they were in the movie in the book, but they just add so much. That's where I'm like, the book is just a treatment where the movie like flushes out all those details like Brooks, like Clancy's character where zeroing down to one warden where it just, they were just all smart choices that feel right. Like they feel like, the right choice that's how this is yeah it's like in service of the book in the adaptation somehow like instead of like trying to adjust it like i just saw the crow last night um on that big screen and some of what i saw was like kind of flaws i won't necessarily get into it but like certain translations to the cinema as opposed to the book that i became much more familiar with i I saw those differences in, in a lot of ways as like I guess bad things, just put quickly. But Frank Darabont's adaptation of Shawshank, all of those things are so much in keeping in the spirit of the book and, and actually translating it better somehow to the screen than just the 
they, literal translation could have been. They make sense. They just they're you're just like, yeah, that it feels organic. The changes that he makes feel organic to the story that's being told. Yeah. Right. Like and they they actually enhance it. Like the Brooks thing, so there's this older gentleman who runs the library before Andy is reassigned to the library. Um where he uh I think he's, they said he's like a paragraph in the book, but in the movie, he's this older gentleman given a very prominent role who basically personifies this institutionalization. Yeah, the idea of institutionally. Like, so yeah. you, you have, do you feel you've been, uh, what's the question they keep asking him at? Rehabilitated. Rehabilitated. Yeah. So you have the idea of rehabilitation, you have this idea of institutionalization. And the conflict of those two things of like that both can result from your time that these men are spending decades they're spending inside this prison and how one of the two things can happen to you, which one. And that's where I, yeah, you can either get busy living or get busy dying. (laughs) Are you, that's what ultimately what your choice is while you're in prison. Which they present really well in the movie because ultimately in the book, that whole idea of institutionalization is only sort of talked about through Red's experience when he gets out. Yeah. He's like, I, I, I was only permitted to like piss at certain points of the day. Uh, you know, like I couldn't figure out how to exist on the outside, basically. The bed was too big. I'd wake up feeling like I was falling or something like that. All these things of uh, translating his experience as someone who'd been in incarceration for so many years and then suddenly set out into the world didn't know how to function so in the movie though they use this character of brooks as this much older man who basically gets set free at a certain point goes out into the world writes a letter back to the guys that they're able to use the stephen king narration kind of basically cribbed from what he would have had read say in the later part of the book about trying to exist in the in the straight world and ultimately deciding to end his own life, to hang himself in his halfway house before in the movie car- carving out in uh, on the on the wall Brooks was here. So then what's nice is that they tag that up with like um a kind of a resolution of that where it's all red in the book, but in the movie when Red gets out, he has Brooks's example to kind of contrast his. Yeah. And he decides, he write, he scribbles next to Brooks's name in the same halfway house, and so was Red. But Red decides to choose to get busy living, as, yeah. as, the, to, as the saying goes in the book. And he goes and finds Andy. Yeah. And that's the, that's the last sort of added scene is in the book. It ends with that thing of like Red saying, like, I have, I hope that the Pacific, ocean is as blue as it is in my dreams i hope i hope i hope and then they didn't shoot it just briefly anecdotally this is a like a studio note a castle rock studio note (laughs) that that uh frank darabont heated which was like we just we want to see these guys get together like it was supposed to end with him with red on the bus i hope but they added some extra photography to go back and shoot them in the beach in Mexico, actually reuniting and embracing. And Frank Darabont didn't want to do it at first, but the the studio executive, I can't remember her name, but she was basically like, you have Final Cut. We're not putting it in print, but like we're not going to make you use anything. We just want you to 
see this through. If you don't like it, you don't have to use it. But he did like it, and he did use it. And it's one of the things you remember most is actually getting to see Red and Andy. like Over-the-top cheesy? No. No, it feels so good. (laughs) Yeah, it's so awesome. It's like it's this perfect closure. It's like you watch both these characters give 20 years of their life to a horrific environment that literally chews up men and spits them out. Unless they refuse that, like that sort of defiance of Andy and the turning up the music or whatever, just refusing to let that small part of him be caged as it were. And, 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 and you get to the, the visual of that. The reason why it's so important that that is in the movie is that's the payoff. You need to see it. You need to confirm that all of that pain and suffering was worth it. Yeah. And, and basically Andy taught red to believe like you see that those parole hearings are not in the book either. And as they were, yeah, but, but there's this lovely progression of, of him going from like so insecure and and hoping, hoping, hoping that they'll pardon him to then like the second one, him being like, ah, they're not going to do it. So he doesn't even bother to third one be like, fuck you. I don't even give a shit. And that's when they finally let him out. Yeah. (laughs) You ask me how I've been rehabilitated? Frankly, I don't give a shit. Yeah. He literally says that to the parole board <laughs> and they parole him. Yeah. Fuck. But I'll basically say that like it, Shawshank Redemption was the one movie that people would be most incredulous that I hadn't seen over the years. They would just be offended and all that. And all the reasons that it has persisted and, and been elevated in our collective consciousness as this like great movie was there were the reasons of like word of mouth of like why you this movie will add something to your life and why you should see it and uh i always knew that i should and i'm glad i finally had this opportunity to do so oh awesome it it lived up to it on all levels yeah. at times like what I, what i realized was there were certain moments that felt like I was watching this important movie like this there are certain scenes where like the mu- the music kind of swelled and it, it at this sort of distance, I was like, oh, that's that's a little bit too too much movie movie. We're making a movie trying to make a point. <laughs> yeah. That that having not come to it at the time and in retrospect, I was didn't work as well for me, but the whole thing worked like gangbusters. And I found that like it really helped crystallize this thing that I've been feeling in, in making the nonfiction films that I do for my day job and all this. Like music and movies can often be most powerful when it's not accompanied with dialogue. Cause it's often like trying to dictate how you feel about something. And so if music is trying to pull you in one way and then the music and then the dialogue is pulling you or, or, or uh, trying to achieve its own thing when the music is really bolstering that in this way of like, Oh, this is important. Sometimes if you come to it in the wrong state of mind, you're like, fuck you. <laughs> like, let me decide for myself. <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is like my one criticism of that whole movie in 25 years of retrospective, it's like the parts that worked best for me was when the dialogue was doing the dialogue thing and the music was doing the music thing. In particular, the most moving scene to me, two most moving scenes were the where Andy cranked up the opera yep. to the PA and the end where there's no dialogue and he and Red and are reunited. Those are the two moments that like choke me up beyond words. And there were there was some speechifying of like, you know, quote unquote great acting, not to diminish the acting, but 
I was just sort of like the 1994-ness of like putting the music in the in the dialogue. I was like, oh, that don't work for me as well now. But anyway, some whole are great and then it's parts. I get lived up to everything. Like I, I fucking loved it. I'm so glad it's now part of my life too. Cutting edge. <laughs> yeah, Moto's talking about, he had no idea this was a Stephen King story. Oh. Because it was overwhelmingly good. Isn't that just like the, that's like the, that's a great way to describe That's That is the, yeah, purveying like oh, sentiment about the Shawshank Redemption. For Redemption. that has, you know, that deals with such things as like prison rape and like beating of people and. Yeah. Like the bride, the bride like said, like, I'm haunted by this movie. And when I watched it, she was like, I'm, and I know, happen to know that her deepest fear is false imprisonment. So of course it makes sense sure. that this, and so she's saying like, it's about this, this, and this. And it's like, so I'm hearing you saying I shouldn't like it. She's like, no, <laughs> of course. Yeah. But she's like upset by those things you mentioned as, as was I at first. And even after the first night, like I was a little bit, I don't know if you say shell shocked or whatever, but it actually like in the days after, and as I delved into like the the supplementary material and let it soak in, yeah. I was just like, I get it. I get why people love this movie. I love this movie yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was that was that was a lot on the Shawshank Redemption, but it is the Shawshank Redemption. I, I mean, <laughs> I, it. I remember the first time I heard that Shawshank Redemption had overcome uh citizen kane in like the number one movie viewer voted movie on imdb and all of those words put together and i was just like no (laughs) that movie came out in my lifetime i remember watching it on video like there's like no there's no way that it's that movie it's not artsy enough right now i look back and it's just like it is just brilliant storytelling brilliant filmmaking um yeah makes me yeah it's fair i could like just like meet frank darabont because i bet his creative process is just amazing to watch um but it's very like classical hollywood like it's very like you can tell that he is a fan of frank capra yeah and that, that kind of like it's a wonderful life which was another like uh what's a wonderful life i i brought that up because um uh, tim robbins brings up a few movies that were not successful in their initial release that went on to become beloved one of which was citizen kane another uh it's a wonderful life but yeah frank capra has this kind of all-american um cinematic approach to to the that that kind of like rockwell <laughs> norman rockwell sort of period sure and the shawshank like takes place during that time so anyway but yeah it's like it was a lot to live up to and i'm not sure it, in the moment like in the actual moment it did in every sense but within like the next few days like as it percolated and i got a time like the uh, i absorbed it i i embraced it i think to the extent that that most people burn. have that's fair the slow burn's fair yeah and not even that slow like i, I yeah i'm i'm on board yeah. I, I loved it and, it and it added a lot to my I'm to my life as well the, um how 
the I I well Stand by Me. Have you seen Stand by Me before? No, no, and that 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 formed Castle Rock, if I'm not mistaken, and yeah. was why Frank Darabont like trusted that 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 company to. He's like, if anyone could help me see this through, it'd be those people. Yeah, and they did. Yeah. Um. So when I was a kid growing up, we had two VHS actual like these movies were made on this VHS. This VHS was only supposed to be this movie, not like recorded off TV. Oh, you mean like you bought them with the yeah. cover and everything? Oh, no, we borrowed. This is where I learned how to be a bad borrower. My mom had borrowed them off of somebody and we like lost the boxes. So we only had the cassettes uh- <laughs> and we never gave them back ever. Like <laughs> I bet if my mom was still alive there would still be a drawer in her entertainment center that would have VHSs. <laughs> and there would be this borrowed copy of Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters, and Stand By Me. Those were the, like, we had. Awesome. Yeah. So, like. I'm pretty sure those would both be Columbia from a certain era. And I can picture the way that that spine and and labels looked. And so, I like I, that. hundreds of times, hundreds, hundreds upon hundreds of times. I watched those movies because there was just nothing else. Oh. So Ghostbusters and Stand By Me are like burned into my brain. Like, because those were the only, for the longest time, those were the only legitimate VHS movies we owned. And we stole when I, from somebody. Like, we were. Uh, like, <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I don't want to. I just this is more like put a pin in it for later. But I did hear about the Jason Reitman Ghostbusters uh, sequel, right? <laughs> and it's and they released a teaser for it, even. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> that I didn't know. <laughs> it's like, God, like come in my pants at work. Like, <laughs> I just need to turn my phone off and not watch it because, like, they dropped the the best geek shit. <laughs> uh yeah. Anyways. So last episode, I'm I'm gonna segue or else we're just Yeah. Not- no, we'll never get to it. I'm gonna click on the we're document. Keep, like sucking Frank Darabont's dick if we don't like Right. I know. <laughs> That's not starting. So okay. <laughs> uh last episode we talked about uh just visiting and we have less than a half an hour to go through these, so it'll be really quick. Uh, we wanted to visit our goals for the upcoming year. We kind of wanted to talk about our goal-making process and how uh, we're using that to shape the rest of the year. Ash and I have set a firm February 1st start of these goals. Um, so... We have less than a week. No, we have more than a week. We have a week and a day. <laughs> yes, we have a week the sound in your voice before we have to make these changes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, anyways, um, you had said you wanted to see some of my goal process. I want to see some of your goal process. You said you didn't have anything like formal. Yeah, I think especially, <coughs> sorry, how this episode is sort of played out and talking as much about Shawshank as I did and such. 
Um, I'll just kind of give an overview of what I've s- started and then maybe not get into it okay. so much because you have prepared this like lovely Venn diagram, right? That's what you call yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Spoilers, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, but mine, like what, so I was interested to do this. I haven't done yearly goals in quite a while. And I looked back and when I was doing them, I was doing them very much related to like my music career from well, whatever from, but I think the last time I did it was 2012. So I'd have these like categories where it would be like, I don't know, writing, recording, releasing. That would be like a category and then I'd have goals within that category. Or I would have, I had like a newsletter slash social media goal, you know, or, or, or touring performing goals. And I would segment them like that. They would be based on those areas. That was the last time I did them at all. This time when I was thinking about it, I was definitely, I'm not been engaged in that same process. And I was thinking about it differently, but I like this idea of looking back over a certain period of time to see what kind of progress I'd made on things that I'd set out to do. So, because I had a less defined criteria or specific objectives, I decided to kind of look at what I was doing first before I decided to evaluate the progress on that, if that makes any sense. So what I started by doing is like, I have these, I don't journal as like in paragraphs and stuff, but years ago I'd started to do this kind of thing where I would basically just write down after the fact what I did in a day, almost like you would goals for the day, but afterwards more so to say like here's what i did during the day yeah not so much how i felt about it just so you know where your day went and so i've been doing that for a good so many years and uh and so i had that to look back over and there are some journaling practices that sort of bleed in anyway so i i started by going over my 2018 with thinking about things about like goals for 2019, but also like, what did I like doing? Like, what was I happy that I did? Like, what were some things I was unhappy with? Those kinds of things, really trying to get at like what I want, like, why am I even bothering to do these goals? Um, so that's kind of the part of the process where I'm at. Like I, I did that evaluation. I have this interest in maybe starting from objectives rather than goals. Like I found, it's actually from Trello. Uh, maybe I can find it. It's like right in front of me here in one of my several notebooks. Um, but it's like starting with the objective and then getting at tactics to get at it. So like maybe the objective, this, this is random, like what they're saying, increase organic traffic by X percent. But then on the, on the right are possible tactics about how you might achieve that objective where, okay. uh, well... That doesn't make good sense in presenting it that way, but it's no, actually a sort of. Like, I mean, that's like what I call action steps. Like yes, the, it's it's kind of like reversed to where you figure out what you really want, and then you, then you reverse engineer it. Excuse me, you reverse engineer it based on. So sometimes you might mistake a goal for an action step. I guess, like as you were saying it. Anyway, I'm, I'm kind of coming at it from a similar standpoint to where, I think. It, 
at times in my daily life and I'm looking, I'm surrounded by these kind of like, you might even call them vision boards or something where all these like things that I want to achieve in my creative processes that will involve a lot of like action steps to get there. But I think what I, what I want to do, not just in the creative process stuff, but more broadly in my, um, goals for like my life outside of creative things <laughs> um think about like what i want the ob- the objective to be so maybe it's like peace of mind i yeah. want peace of mind <laughs> uh, a harmony in my relationships or something so like what am i doing to work toward that so for me that's a little bit of a reversal of like starting with what i want the outcome to be and stepping back to those things that i think will bring me toward that outcome in, in case no, Though, I think that's, that's, does that make sense? Like, I think the steps yeah, for me. I look at, vo- at goals. Yeah, like they might be the opposite in yeah, terms of. I want to look at like what's it going to take to get there. That's what you need to focus on because that's. Yeah, I think for me though, I it's easy to get lost in thinking that the work, the object, like the steps, are somehow more important than the objective. If that makes sense, that's where I'm a little bit behind the the process I think for where you might be because I think for me thinking like I should do this so like in terms of like when I evaluated my 2018 what am I happy about what am I unhappy about like one of the things I was happy about is that I took so much time out to try to better my mental state but the actual things that I did to do that were were like multiple like I went to therapy I did all these different things in service of that ultimate ultimate outcome like ultimate goal but i don't think i would have i don't think i would have set the that goal in the same way like i don't think i would have said in 20 or i don't think i would necessarily even say now in 2019 i'm looking to achieve peace of mind um i think i might say like i want to go to therapy the the uh, the difference there being one is like a means to the other (laughs) yeah so I guess that's where I'm a little bit behind. So that's why I'm not going to take up as much time with those things because I'm still kind of working on them. Um, but that that's, that's where I'm at. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this more because I think it'd be nice to be held accountable to what's the difference, you know, like what's, or just to have a, an excuse to think about what's the difference between like, I think the hardest thing is like, what do you want? What do you actually, what do I actually want? Not what do I think I want? <laughs> What was the ultimate thing? I don't know. Like, I think I get tripped up. I, like, I, for one thing, I'm reading Unfuck Yourself based on your oh, recommendation. Nice. I impulsively, nice. like, bought the the book, book. And part of it is, like, and I'm pretty early on, but it's like, what, it, like, this whole idea of being willing to do this, that, or the other. Like, once you, once you're willing to do the thing, like, that's the most important step in some ways. Yeah, I relate to that a lot because like once I commit to something, I could commit to it to my detriment. And so I don't want to, I don't want the commitment to be the thing. I want the thing to be the thing. Like I want the thing I'm working towards to be more important than the way that I get there. And I think for me, the thing is to be more critical or evaluating the way that I get there sometimes. Sure. Anyway, I, uh, it's, it's confusing to talk about, but I think that that's sort of my no, main that, contribution that makes sense. to this. And at it this sounds point. it sounds like what I tried to achieve with this Venn diagram, and and yes, yeah, so let's transition to that. So, 
I said goals to you, and I know last year when we would talk about goals, you're like, I don't like goals. Yeah. <laughs> like, you didn't like but, that word. No, I don't like goals, and I still don't. I still have really a lot of problems. Like, we have I, – I, 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 I fall into the trap of let's – this is a really a weird example, but it's what comes to mind. So I, let's say I set a goal. I want to learn how to play a song on a guitar. And so then I'm going to get on YouTube and I'm going to look for guitar lessons. And then those are going to work for a little while. And then they're going to bore me. So then I'm just going to look for a tutorial on how to play the song that I want to learn on guitar and then that'll lead to just like really good covers of that song. And then I'll watch those. I'll be like, oh, that's really satisfying. Like they really did a good job of covering that song. <laughs> and then that like, I'm like, well, yep, there, there's that goal. You know, like, and, 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 and so I, I don't like goals because it's like you're just focusing on the satisfaction you're going to get of checking this off. That's how I look at goals. That could be my first detriment. Like maybe I just look at goals the wrong way. But I'm like, no. It's so funny that you say that because it's. I think it's the 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 fundamental thing about the way that we approach things. Like when we talk about the list of of bet favorite of 2018 or whatever, you would want to get through the list as you were saying. Yeah. Like I want to make sure to check it off, but I like want to get real thorough on the list. So yeah, we have a the different obstacle in this regard and that in your mind like that would get you through the goal like i got through that goal like but for me i would get lost in the steps yeah <laughs> i yeah so well here let me let me share this screen share your entire screen share it and then so here's this is what i made all right i'm i'm gonna also put it j so it doesn't switch from me so it just stays on this yeah, uh, for no, a minute. That's good. So uh, I I was really looking, I was trying to figure out like how can I I had this idea of there's three areas of my life that I want to improve. That's my goal. And that's the social and I was like how come what's the most basic representation of those three areas you want to improve? And so it's social, emotional and health, right? And emotional covers like my mental health also. And my health is my physical health. Uh, and then social is just like the relationships that I have with other people, um, particularly Ash, uh, but also my my friends slash family uh, in engagements. That would that would be this fall into the social thing. So then I was like, okay, well, what do you your goal is like what you ultimately your end product, like what do you want to improve? So then I, I like, so here's the things that I would want to change about those three areas. So for emotional, I want to improve my emotional IQ, meaning like, I don't want my emotions to just like drive me. I want to be able to like, if something's upsetting me, I want to be able to recognize it's upsetting me and control it before I'm saying things I regret. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I want to improve my emotional IQ by improving patience. 
defining personal happiness. What actually do I want? What, what actually makes me happy? And then, and managing my expectations. Cause I feel like that's a lot of my disappointment in life is I have unrealistic expectations, right? Uh, social is defined and repair relationships that add value Minimize the impact of those without value and become an active partner for Ash. And then my health one is eat less, exercise more, lose weight, and don't die before you turn 40. <laughs> so those are my three general goals. And they're really like, they are unimportant. They're not smart goals. They're not really, they're very, um, uh, abstract right they're not sort of they're at the same time i will say like as i've been struggling with the other side of this process and getting lost in the weeds these are where i would want to get to i explored smart goals today that came up you know that comes up in my work environment and stuff i was like i don't know that doesn't actually resonate i don't like well smart goals me. i don't it makes sense for professional things that i don't know it didn't it, it didn't work for me in my what I want to get out of this. These actually do. This is this is amazing actually. Yeah. Um so those are my three goals. And they in 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 each circle represents those three areas that I want to improve in my life. So then I'm looking so all the other stuff are action what I would consider action steps and things that were they only support that one goal go in that. I mean, it's works like a Venn diagram, right? And so, um, for example, I have this book, uh, it's called the dialectical behavior therapy skills workbook. Uh, I am doing some self diagnosis and self treatment. And this workbook it, that all led me to this workbook, um, which I want to work through this year. So I'm going to work through the skills workbook. I, I want to revisit my meditation practices. I want to find uh, a counselor and therapist so I have somebody that I can talk to. And uh, I want to do something in the shop every day because I find a lot of uh, positive satisfaction in doing something in my wood shop, right? Yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so these are all they're all action they're all actionable things, things that I can say. Did you do this today? When was the last time you remember actually doing this thing, right? Yeah. Um, and so the Venn diagram thing breaks down. So, um, I'm not going to read each one of these things, but uh. Uh, for example, so the emotional in the um, in the uh, well, let's do the social and the health there's circle. Not, there's not many of them. You could read them. <laughs> uh, yeah, but okay. wh whichever ones you want to. Well, okay. So the social one. So the ones that are exclusive to social are volunteer somewhere. I want to find some way that I can volunteer, that I can provide some service. Uh, I, I thought about maybe volunteering at hospice. There's a hospice center wow. that's really close to us. Wow, um, that's a that's and, an intense one. Holy cow! Yeah, <laughs> I I know, but it, it it it's also like 
who wants to die alone? You know what I mean? Like, Oh, a little bit, but I've also like my wife teaches a, a helping profession and we spoke like recently we reconnected with one of her former students talking about where this person is hoping to go. And there were parts of that uh, hospice care that she was interested in that made a lot of sense with certain other parts of her personality. And uh, yeah, it's sort of interesting that that comes up, I guess, because it takes a special person to be able to, to do that, to, to want, want to engage with that. But there probably is not necessarily a more rewarding, <laughs> you know, no, sphere of a public service. It's, it's rewarding. <laughs> it's rewarding in the sense that you are, you are selflessly providing a service. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So volunteer somewhere, travel to visit friends. Uh, and this actually could be in that, like in the overlapping thing of the emotional thing, because you get some, you get some intrinsic reward from traveling, right? Where that will help your emotional status. Uh, but travel to visit friends, uh, join some kind of professional organization. Um, hmm. And a lot of these, because they're under social, is to build this, like, I have a very defunct friend network right now, I feel like. Um, and this would uh, these things are to help rebuild that. Um, mm. Spend more time with people that are not Ash or on a screen. Uh, yeah, and which that's, includes me. No, which yeah. includes you, yeah. <laughs> Just, like, real people interactions um, that aren't with people that are married to me or that have known me for 20 plus years. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, the screen thing is different though. Yeah. I mean, I acknowledge that. Yeah. Sure. Sure. That, but I mean, like that's a different thing. And like, please don't get me wrong. Experience. Like, th like I, I get monumental benefit from this, from this interaction. Uh, it just, you need people, you need people interaction in there too. Uh, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me. So and I think I'm at a place not similarly, but for me, the fact that I am talking to you in this way and in, in this regular way is progress in that same sphere that yeah. I, that I that that is like a enough of a step in the in the quote unquote right direction for me. <laughs> but I totally get that that is a further step to go beyond. Yeah, this is. I'm so glad you did this. This is actually super helpful to me too. Um. <laughs> And if you notice, a lot of these, or not a lot, all of these start with action words, verbs, right? Like, oh, which is yes. why they're action. So complete, revisit, find, do, volunteer, yes. travel, join, spend. Uh, so now we, we can see the overlapping then between the emotional and the social. Uh, so explore a couple counseling with Ash. Um because that's going to improve my relationship with her as well as help with my emotional, uh, solicit help when needed from those who can provide. Um, I have a bad problem with that of, uh, I would rather just let disappointment happen than ask for help. So, mm. and I need to improve that, uh, explore overeaters anonymous membership, which could mm. really be, I guess that might be all three as well. Uh, but um, 
I know that with smoking, I found that uh, that class really helped a lot. So maybe uh, if my health is a big focus for this year, maybe Overeaters Anonymous might help be a similar um, benefit. Um, we have, then the last one is my health circle. And the exclusive ones to that are track calories, exercise, and weight. Perform some act, physical activity every day. Uh, weigh yourself every week and take progress photos. And then listen to my body. And... <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing a little bit because I just hear JCVD in my mind <laughs> from the exercise video that I did with him. He goes, you have to listen to your body. Yeah. And your, and your body will listen to you. <laughs> and and um my the rationale behind that is is I really have a problem with I just woke up so I need to eat breakfast. It's noon so I need to eat lunch. It's dinner, you know, it's I it's after work so now I need to eat dinner and I might not necessarily be hungry during those times. Um so just listening to my body and not eating just because I feel like I'm supposed to. Hmm. Uh, and then the overlap between the emotional and the health would be like celebrate my uh, celebrate all victories, uh, break up with food, which is a big one, and then use exercise to relieve stress. Where are these? Uh, I'm not seeing these. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Right Up here. At the top. I got it. Yeah. Okay. And then um, between the social and the health, I had exercise with friends uh inspire others and help them succeed and then find social outlets that do not revolve around eating slash drinking <laughs> nice uh and then you have this like with a triple venn diagram like this you have the center area and it's like i was trying to think what's going to support all three of those things and i really want to try to start my like Palmer by design brand and blog and think that uh, that would be a great way to work through all of these things. So that's my center. That's what like I'm going to work through and track the progress of all of these things through that blog and through, I, I mean, through long walk, short drink too. Uh, but the blog would be the big thing. Uh, my daily or my, weekly thing that I would just sit down and devote something to to track this stuff. Nice. So do you like the idea of the the written part of that? Uh is that yeah. where the blog part the, comes from? Uh that's part of it. Uh in and it doesn't necessarily have to be a blog. It could be a vlog, like do a video thing, like maybe do a YouTube uh live thing or uh just a weekly video blog instead of a a, a typed out thing so nice. uh one of the Very things nice. that i one of the, my goals that i didn't get a chance to touch at all last year was my writing goal and so uh, uh to try to carry that over into this year like maybe uh, if i can make a practice out of writing um, oh yeah that sounds awesome yeah so. that sounds great yeah I, I um i i do that i guess you could call it like a bullet journal but like it's really like it came from this thing and some of the music productivity 
blogs or something I was I was looking at at the time where it's basically like write down these th- three victories per day was the idea. Yeah. So that you could s- feel some sense of accomplishment in what you were trying for. And for me, I carried that over to writing out just kind of this bulleted, here's where my day went in the hopes that it would provide the same sort of perspective on how I spent my time, but in a positive way. Uh, or, or if I needed to correct somehow. Um, but, um, the, the written thing, uh, so, so I'll get into, I'll use this. I, I, I think this actually, this Venn diagram can help me. Like I said earlier, my focus on the goals in the past has been so specific to certain areas. Um, yeah. in terms of even just like, and I've even done it. Like I have stuff in my, my, <laughs> The, the bride calls on my anal log <laughs> because I think she saw my bullet pointed journal in, entries, if you could call them that, uh, at some point. And uh, she's like, what is this? And I, and I, I said something to the effect that like, this is analog. <laughs> and she's, she called it analog. I don't know. Like, uh. Do you keep track of your poops? And it's <laughs> like, well, not exactly, but not far from it. <laughs> So, um, but so, so I, I keep the, uh, one of the things I sometimes get is these cards and I'm kind of surrounded by some of them, which you can't see, but so like one of the cards is for LWSD and actually is for like a specific episode, but maybe you, you could extend it to LWSD as a project. And then I have another card from my 2018 mix album and I have another card from my Frankenstein play adaptation like an a, a, a indie crow remaster uh dog days reissue and so they'd be like just like the next thing you're supposed to do for that project but one of the things i know i want to do is extend my 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 goals or my awareness to more than just these projects and of course then like i have a full-time job that has its whole fucking goals too but like i don't right. even acknowledge that because that's it's like for somebody else but if but maybe part of it too is incorporating that somehow. Anyway, so the way that you broken this down by emotional, social, and health is very helpful. I know health is one of them, and I've made real strides in the last couple of years with that progressively. But I know that it's been based on different goals or metrics than in the past. And it's been successful because of the way that I've looked at it differently. Yeah. So one of the things I I can't find it right now. I've a bunch of notebooks in front of me, um, but there there was this thing where like I wrote down something I want. I wish I could find. It. I'll share it next week or next time we we talk. But it had to do with like something kind of specific, based around like I want to. I want to like feel better. Yeah. And I wanna I wanna stop this because I want this like the the goals were based around these more it wasn't project based you know what I mean and it wasn't what I thought that project might get me or whatever like it was based around this other thing and I wrote it down and like a year later like in, in, in a way it was like next year at this time but I completely forgot about it and when I went back over my analog for 2018 like i hit <laughs> that thing i was like holy shit like i literally did that i did exactly yeah. that what I, what i wrote down yeah. um but i i i yeah i'm starting to connect more that it, it's not so much about 
it has to kind of come from this that from the unfuck yourself book like this willingness place yeah like once you commit to that willingness in this real way it can result in real change but that fundamental choice is important um and so i'm finding for me that i've my goals have been sort of sometimes differently outlined than could i feel like i could approach it in a different way and so i'm working on that i've already been working on that and your your approach that you shared today has helped like further i think where i need where i want that to be one of the reasons why i hate goals as they're traditionally thought of and smart goals is i for the exact reason that you're talking about now is i would find myself lost i was giving up the forest for the trees where i would be like well this isn't progressing towards this smart goal so even though it's progress in another area of my life i don't have a smart goal it's not supporting this smart goal that i have and i would actually let that fall by the wayside to where I was not improving in other areas that I could be improving just because I had zeroed down so much into the smart goal. Um, I, I like making things abstract and I like it reduces room for disappointment. It reduces room for failure. If I can show growth in any one of those three areas by this time next year, by this time in 2020, it will be worth it in my opinion i i yeah. I, I improved that's the only only one that matters at this kind of thing yeah. this kind of personal goals like your own appraisal of yeah what you're going for and, and where where you are in relation to that and, and that's why it's like i i think the most important thing is trying to figure out like what why am i doing this what do i really want um and so I'll, I'll talk. I'll talk more about that next time. I mean, that's not like a teaser thing. It's just because it's late and yeah. it's too too much to get into. But uh, it's been harder for me to crystallize than maybe I would have thought. But I'm I'm much more okay with that than I would be just rattling off. I wouldn't say empty goals, but I just I'm looking for more substantive. Well, your goals should be based on need, and it's like. I identified those three areas are areas that I find lacking in my life right now. Yeah. I need to yeah. improve my health. I need to improve my social life and I need to improve my own emotional, like mental health. Right. And that's what emotional yeah. encompasses. Yeah. I like those, those categorizations prior uh, other as opposed to what I've had in the past in terms of, I, I outlined them. I'm like touring, yeah, <laughs> like touring live performance or yeah. like social media newsletter or like releasing that, the other, like those made a lot of sense at the time and they were very helpful in, in what I was going for, but they don't relate to what I'm living with day to day now and what would be helpful to me now. Right. So I need to reevaluate what those categories are for me. Um, so th I think that's that's a really helpful thing I'll take from tonight to the to the work that I have been doing, like to figure out how I can take that information of like what I one of the, like basically I took inventory, like what did I really like doing when I looked back over my year and what I wrote down, like what was I happy about, what I what would I like to change, what's within right. my control to change, right? Um, but evaluate it from 
the perspective of like what would make me happy, not any other perspective. And that's one of the things I like too. It's like this idea of like what it might be this goal that I think I want, but maybe I can reach the outcome of that goal. That's why I was talking about outcomes first is something that I would like to shift to. Because maybe I can feel that outcome through a different means than I think what what I would have termed a goal. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, like with that whole crow thing, like I'd like what it what does it really come down to? Of if I were to make some sort of di- new digital thing of that old movie, right? I the the ultimate goal of that is I would like to have a thing that I could watch and enjoy like that time of my life and not feel some sort of things, you know, like just some sort of high, like where, where does that come from? You right. know what I mean, and I will say that even since we last talked about that, I'm less focused on like, Oh, I should do that. <laughs> I more have a little bit of peace in the idea that I could do that. <laughs> yeah. If that makes any yeah. sense. So, but it's like getting to the root of that and trying to like parse that into these other things. But definitely for me in the past, it's always been about, like what I laid out before, these different cards, these different projects and evaluating it based on that. Um, And I will say the last time I did this was 2012. I had a health goal. (laughs) Um, But I didn't make any progress on that in any measurable kind of noticeable way from 2012 to 2018. In 2018, I did. And, And I could tell you now, based on my going back through objectively, like why was it different than... Like, and some of it's like real cut and dry, but uh, other parts of it are not. So, so I'm glad. Thank you for the opportunity to kind of delve into this. Thank you for sure. like, actually, yeah. I mean, you made, made a lot more. Well, I, I don't know. I thank you for engaging in it the way you did, because it's going to help me as well <laughs> to awesome. kind of evaluate my own processes and stuff well and i mean and this is going to be something we're going to talk about for the whole next year right like we're going to revisit these and see how we're doing and see how our goals change that's the other reason why i also like being abstract with them is they i'm not going to be the same person a year from now as i am today and so those goals could change those goals could change in a month right and yeah. And I need them to, the more abstract they are, the more living they are and the more I can grow them and, and, and manipulate them into what I need them to be so that it, it would be silly to keep tracking a goal for an entire year that things could totally, ch- I could be in a different job in six months. Right. You know, like, yeah, any yeah. of those be- things could change. So yeah, and being like a slave to some sort of goal for just the purpose of reaching it. Yeah. It's not really the point. Like it's the the point is in some ways the point is the process or, or right. at least the result of who you would be at the end of that process. And right. if 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 you don't like where that's going, it's not it's not a good thing for you. And I, that I think that's that will be nice for me to have this this excuse to engage with those questions. And it's nice to to do so with someone like that that I I've known for this long that can help you know be a sounding board like one of my one of my big goals for the year honestly is to like be less hard on myself about sure. how I spend my time but some of those things like come from these ideas of of a judgment about what I am doing and I th- and I think you can actually provide some objective 
feedback there that would be helpful to me to just put to rest some ideas like oh this is what i like what the fuck do i care what anyone thinks about how i'm spending my time somehow i must (laughs) you know otherwise i wouldn't bother yeah you know otherwise it wouldn't bother me i should say yeah so anyway so as i i'm glad how many people are actually up at night like i can't fucking believe dave is still sitting there like yeah literally no one (laughs) no person is like i can't believe dave is up at 2 a.m watching jcvdb exercise videos and right. recutting his like crow documentary from yeah. like 1997. I can't believe exactly. Dave is doing that. Like there's no <laughs> there's no consortium of people. There's you know what I mean where that's happening. Right. Um, but somehow yeah, those things kind of take hold in your brain somehow. And uh anyway, so fun things for 2019 for <laughs> LTSD listeners. We invite you to to join us if you want on on this kind of uh this journey yeah and when you know i hate <laughs> using the word journey in this regard journey, though. the only journey i care about is like you know don't stop believing like pump your fist in an alleyway journey but but of course yeah like i gotta find a better word for it <laughs> voyage we're on a voyage i'll voyage. figure something the out change <laughs> yeah yeah path i don't know yeah. But in any event, like, um, thank you for listening to us. <laughs> thank you, Palmer, for listening to me and for giving me this opportunity to examine these things. Anytime. I'm always here to listen to you. Do me a favor, everyone, if you're listening to this, make sure you're subscribed over at YouTube. We are at 75 subscribers right now. Isn't that crazy? Like, I, felt- I will say that a concrete goal for 2019 would be to reach that 100 subscribers oh, it would be so, so as be to reach yeah it's not just the number like the ultimate goal is to get our unique um unique url and the action step would be for you to subscribe whoever you are absolutely so, so uh if you're listening to this and you're not subscribed over on youtube do us a favor head over to youtube.com search long walk short drink subscribe to our channel ring the bell that way you'll get notified we record all of these live Moto is here every week. Him, uh, J. Row, uh, Broadman. Who else we have regular? Well, Twicky is often here, but his days off have changed. Yeah, so like he listens on breaks. So we we'll, we have this live contingency uh, that we record these live and broadcast them while we're recording them. You could see the whole conversation or you might be listening to this on an actual podcast episode, like from iTunes or Stitcher, uh, go to your favorite iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Dave does a really great job of trimming these down and putting out the audio versions of these conversations as well for our podcast episodes. Um, head over to audibletrial.com slash LWSD down download your favorite audio book. Uh, highly recommend it was on my 2000 best of 2018 uh unfuck yourself how are you liking it so far are you like i am liking it yeah i'm happy i mean i love audiobooks and i'm sort of sad at times that i'm not hearing this guy's scottish accent but i am sitting down with this particular one and highlighting things and stuff and so uh, i'm i'm liking it so far good i i i really feel like it it a lot of the self-help books i read last year had the same kind of message just like um, 
don't give a fuck shrug it off and just keep going it's kind of like the person like the, the overall message but unfuck yourself really i feel like did the best job of conveying it uh yeah so far so good check that out um follow us at twitter at lwsd pod you can always email us at lwsd pod at gmail.com uh other than that uh head over to your favorite podcasting i already said that and subscribe I, I just discovered today i was i was messing around on uh our the podcasting platform i i sometimes listen on uh and i listen to podcasts generally on my iphone on the uh, apple podcast um platform but like you can click show full uh description or whatever it is show notes like you can hit a thing and like it will show you like a word document and you can click on like the description links it's sort of it's magic so we're saying all these things but if you go over to your podcast app you can see see it in print and hit a button that says like go to audibletrial.com and you'll be there and then you can just enter that free book like it that's a i know it's probably obvious excuse me to most people but i didn't figure it out till today that that was an option. <laughs> so Awesome. But yeah, do all those things. Uh, thank you so much to our two viewers who stuck with us this whole time. We were up to five at one point in time, which was great. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. All right, man. Well, I'm going to get off here. Ash made brownies. I am so excited to go get a brownie before oh bed. <laughs> yeah. God. It's so awesome. That's amazing. I know. Before <laughs> February 1st is our deadline. That's when everything changes. Oh, that's right. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, so love you, buddy. Love you. Love you, Long Walkers. Thanks for joining us. I love you, sir. Yep. And I will uh, catch you on the flip side, man. All right. Cheers, everybody. Good night. Good night. Long-